two guys in different spots staying at home, but still talking on the radio. It's a miracle. Pinder and Steinberg is only on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Happy Friday. It's another nice day. Things are starting to pick up. It feels like spring is starting to rear its head after winter had taken over for most of March and a good chunk of April, but it looks like it's going to be a pretty nice weekend. Looks like it's going to be a pretty nice week ahead, and we're starting to get more positive news when it comes to potentially at one point down the road returning to our lives away from the coronavirus. I would say that uh, going into this weekend, Pinder, I'm feeling a little bit better about the state of the world than I was going into our Good Friday weekend uh, eight days ago. Uh, the, the outlook, at least from Shea Steinberg, is a little nicer than it was, say, uh, one week ago. I'm happy you're happy, Pat. When you're happy, I'm happy. So that's good. Um, yeah, we got some weather finally. The extended winter of isolation. Uh, perhaps it'll turn into the spring and summer of isolation. We can use some heat. I saw the uh, dreadful statistic on the Twitter machine today. Yes, I saw um, you tweet this. I, the, uh, the toilet of the internet is social media. I heard that referenced by someone on our sister station in Toronto earlier today in a conversation. But uh, the toilet today had uh, this interesting factoid. Uh, the city of Calgary has not registered a high above 20 degrees for an incredibly long amount of time. 207 consecutive days yesterday marked without getting above 20 degrees. Mm. The all-time record, 1932-33 from October to May, 219 days. So if today we don't get to 20, and I don't think we will, uh, we will only have, what, 11 days to set a new record, Pat. So that's... Uh, when people want to tell you Calgary's got a great climate, it's like, well, we get lots of sun and you're close to the mountains, but this ain't the place to come if you're looking for above 20 degrees, apparently. Wow. You uh, you do a great job of bringing moods down. Like, you are an absolute mood killer. Well, what it is, Pat, is it's depending on how you view it. So to think we're coming to the end of this stretch, how exciting that will be for you and how your uh, body will react uh -huh. to feeling plus 20 air. You're just going to be uh, doing backflips. I'm looking out of uh, north, out of the wife's old office here in uh, the Knob Hill area, and I see a lot of blue sky. There was a lot of rain forecasted today. It still may come, but uh, I'm, I'm A-OK -okay with where we're at right now. Boys are on their bikes today. Dad got on his bike. I'm covered in mud spots. I'm riding through puddles. I feel good. Well, welcome to the program. We're underway on Pinder and Steinberg. We got Pinder the Wet Blanket, and uh, I am just oh. here. Uh, I'm going to call me the Ray of Sunshine, and uh, the guy that keeps us on track, Logan Gordon, along with you on the program today. It's a short show. We're going till 5 o'clock at 5 o'clock in conversation with Ron McLean, and then uh, we continue along with our replays. Game 5 of the 2015 American League Division Series tonight at 6 o'clock, and don't forget that watch party. We'll tell you more about that as the day goes along. And then following that, Game 5 of the Stanley Cup Final from 2004, the high watermark of that Stanley Cup Final for the Calgary Flames where they took a 3-2 series lead. All those things coming up on the uh, Mighty Fan Man. 960 Sportsnet 960 tonight, starting at 5 o'clock within conversation, 6 o'clock with the Jays, and 8.30 for the Flames and the Tampa Bay Lightning. It hurts when you say up 3-2 coming home when you start thinking about that. It's like, yeah, okay, back into those shoes. Now who's the wet blanket, Pat? 3-2 coming home. 
Um, no, it's I've enjoyed the uh, the replays we've been doing, and the Blue Jays game tonight. We've mentioned numerous times on this program and others that that might be the high water mark for ears on this radio station. The bat flip in 2015, Game Five, Texas, Toronto. It happened in drive. People may have forgotten or have got foggy, but that was a matinee game, as Major League Baseball likes to do in the postseason, rolling out an afternoon game, mid-afternoon game, evening game, and then a night game. Uh, so it was literally a lot of people in their cars honking at each other is what always happens on the text line. When we bring up that moment that whether you were on McLeod trail South or you were on the Deerfoot or you were waiting at some sort of a stoplight, uh, a lot of people were locked into this radio station, maybe more than any other moment in uh, station history. And uh, we'll relive that tonight, which will be fun. It was a great, great sports moment. I think everyone can safely say if they're an adult where they were for that moment, it was that big of a sports deal. I was on my couch, and uh, don't forget that at 7 o'clock Calgary time tonight on Sportsnet's YouTube and Facebook pages, a watch party hosted by Arash Madani, Shai Davidi, and Hazel May will take you through it. They're going to have John Gibbons stop by on the watch party. Jose Bautista is going to stop by uh, and a whole lot more. So tune in tonight uh, at 6 o'clock, coast to coast on radio and on television for the game itself. And the watch party is on the YouTube and Facebook channels for Sportsnet at 7 o'clock tonight. Should be a lot of fun. Speaking of the Flames, today is April 17th. It's time to take a little bit of a stroll down memory lane with this day in Flames history let's go back in time and celebrate the amazing history of the calgary flames today in flames history starts starts now on april 17th 2007 the flames were at the dome looking to get back into their quarterfinal series with the detroit red wings calgary lost the first two games in detroit putting them in a tough spot heading back to Calgary. This game was scoreless going into the second period when Matthew Lombardi opened the scoring on the power play to give the Flames a 1-0 lead. Kiprasov forced to make the stop. He moves it ahead for Giordano. For Moss. Moss for Lombardi. Lombardi to the lead. Chris Draper scored back-to-back goals to give the Detroit Red Wings a lead early on in the third. Larry. Tries to throw up and set loose puck. Is it in? Yes, it is. Lilia. They dump it to the corner. Hammerlick pushes it to the other side. Oh, picked off by Draper. He wheels and fires it wide. Clary has it now. He's lost his helmet out front. They score. But then 23-year-old Mark Giordano would score to tie the game. Back to Husalius. It skipped away from him. Again, the loose is it back of the net. Lindstrom can't clear. Giordano with a shot score. And Jerome McGinley scored the game winner midway through the third period. And the Flames get back into the series with a 3-2 victory. Those puck in the Flames start out of their own zone. White wing pass. Here's again. We're moving in. Again, the shoot score. Today in Flames history, celebrating 40 years of Flames hockey in Calgary on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Now, you think back to that moment in that game, guys. I remember it vividly. That was the first ever playoff series I had the privilege to cover. Uh, I was uh, kind of as, as um, what did uh, what did Rob Kerr call me at the time? Scrum master. I was the uh, scrum master. So uh, every morning skate, every practice, I just stuck the mic in every scrum I could. And uh, same thing with post games. So that was the first opportunity I ever had to cover an NHL playoff series. And uh, those two games, I remember vividly. 
vividly as to how good Mika Kiprasov was. And to think about this, the Red Wings with a 2-1 lead in the third period. Chris Draper scores to make it 2-1. That was an elite Red Wings team at the time. And this was a year that they would, uh, again, go on a pretty long run. And for the Red Wings to not find a way to close out a 2-1 lead in the third period pretty good accomplishment you heard uh, logan voice it mark giordano ties it jerome ginla wins it oh seven red wings rye like that was uh that was the heyday of the detroit red wings was that because I, I know they went what didn't they go back to back but it wasn't over that span or am i wrong or was they that heading back, well into that? it was in the midst it was right in the middle of the heyday because you're right they went back to back in 97 98 but they also won again in 03 uh sorry 02 um and then they went back to back stanley cup finals in 08 09 this year they got yeah. to the western conference finals and lost to the eventual okay. cup champion ducks so yeah this was very much in the heyday of the red wings this was the uh post Iserman era. This was Datsuk, Zetterberg, Lidstrom leading the way, uh, but this was absolutely right in the midst of their heyday, kind of their their second run of NHL dominance. And you'll remember Marion Hossa switching sides of the back-to-back Stanley Cup That's finals right. for yes. Pittsburgh and Detroit. In the Ty Conklin as well, I believe. Conklin went from uh, Detroit to Pittsburgh or the other way around? He was on the losing side every time. I think there was a good run there where if you got Conklin, you'd lose in the final. I think the Oilers (laughs) had him for one. And then Pittsburgh and Detroit amongst maybe another. Yeah, Yeah, I feel like Ty Conklin was the ingredient to get you to the final, but maybe not get your name on the cup. (laughs) So that was uh, one of the events that happened on April 17th. That was in 2007. Also on April 17th, 1981. Flames looking to uh, pull even in their second round series with the Philadelphia Flyers. Again, this was when they seeded 1 through 16 in the NHL. So a round two series between the Flames and the Flyers. They were at the Spectrum in Philly. Uh, Flames fell behind early but would uh, come on. Uh, come all the way back and win 5-4 to tie that series at a game apiece. The Flyers out shooting the Flames 46-22, but Calgary still finding a way to uh, tie that series at one. Let's skip ahead. This is a moment that I remember very vividly in 2013. So they were still playing regular season games in 2013 because of the lockout, Lockout. and the Flames and Red Wings met uh, on this day. Now, if you remember, late this is late in the season. The Flames were clearly not going to the playoffs. It was Bob Hartley's first year uh, behind the bench, and it was still a veteran group. Jerome McGinley had been traded about a, two weeks prior, three weeks prior, and the team was just playing out the string. And nobody uh, really knew what the future was going to hold for Mika Kiprasov, but it sure did seem like this was the swan song time for Kiprasov. This was the penultimate game that Kiprasov mm. would play at home, second-last home game, third last game overall as a member of the Calgary Flames, but I remember it vividly because it gave us our last signature Mika Kiprasov moment on this day, 2013, at the Dome against the Red Wings. Giordano fires it hard off the glass, kept in by Zinnerberg on right wing. BJ in there battling along the boards, and the puck is into the slot area. Kindle shoot. What a save! Mika Kiprasov again! Larceny by the Flame goaltender, reaching out to Rob Kindle with a glove save. Something that uh, gives you goosebumps still hearing Peter Marr say Kiprasov's name like that. Absolutely robbed him with a, like, making the splits, glove saved, uh, glove save like vintage Patrick Waugh in Montreal. Uh, that was kind of the 
vintage, the final vintage Kiprasov save that we got. He actually would have an even better performance save-wise, save percentage-wise, his final home game. But I remember that save vividly because I remember doing the post-game show with Peter Marr and Mike Rogers that night, and we were all saying that that could be like Mika Kiprasov gave us that one last moment, that one last kind of highlight reel save as a member of the Calgary Flames. Ah, the word was Mika would come back for his last year with low money, but only if Bob Hartley wasn't here. So whoever made that decision, hmm, wonder if you'd change your mind now. Well, and I mean, it just, it seemed like there was just, at that point, it just seemed like there was no way it was going to happen by that point. Like, it just kind of, everybody seemed to be resigned to the fact that Kiprasov was, was going to move on. He made 36 saves that night. Red Wings outshot the Flames 38-17, but the Flames come away with a 3-2 win on the back of Mika Kiprasov. And uh, one other piece of uh, piece of information, I just thought uh, this was kind of interesting. The boys uh, dug this up. Chuck Kobasu, born on this day in 1982. He was a 14th overall selection of the Calgary Flames in 2001 and uh, spoke about getting drafted in the first round almost two decades ago. To be honest, the, the, the whole moment is a blur to me. I don't remember a whole lot of the day. I know the months leading up to it uh, were very stressful. Uh, you, you know, every, you play out every scenario in your head if, you know, if I'm going to get drafted, where am I going to get drafted, what team? Maybe I won't even get drafted. You know, like there's so many different scenarios. And, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a stressful time. Uh, I definitely, uh, when I watch these younger kids going through it, I don't miss that part of it for sure. Kobasu was a 14th overall selection by the Calgary Flames, and I know that he's kind of slotted into that group of you know big-time busts and like how did the Flames pick this guy, but you go take a look at that 2001 NHL draft, and we'll look again at it uh, when we do the redraft some point next week, but it's not like the Flames had a lot of other choices. It's not like there were a lot of other guys that they sw- that they, they ch- chose Kobasu after. Kobasu probably should have gone at 14th overall based on that year his his career with the calgary flames was never outstanding but uh he did have a decent run with the boston bruins and um and and a decent run in a couple of other spots was he ever a star in the league no but he still ended up playing more than 600 nhl games but that was just not a very good draft period that year for anybody in the nhl what's interesting is as we keep going through the draft classes I think we just think of a draft class as better than the average draft class. Like anytime you're at a draft, you don't expect to see half the players between 10 and 20 just be total duds that don't impact the NHL. But that's probably more realistic than the opposite, which is impact players. You know, when we look back at, I think, what is it? The 03 draft where you had uh, all but one player, I think, play in the NHL or maybe even every single player drafted got in and all those franchise players, including a pair for the Ducks, in what Getzlaff and Perry like that's that's yep. a, a year that stands out but Carter we have to remember how rare those the, are uh, for the Flyers sure. like it was outstanding. never mind the stars at the top but like I, I I think with this exercise albeit you know this will be the third one we've done 98 99 2000 we recall just the average draft it ain't chock full of ball players and there's a whole lot of swings and misses even amongst very smart people near the top of the draft so uh it's been an interesting exercise we'll see as it goes on and I am a little perturbed that you picked 98 to start because I, I love the 97 draft. I know. I, I was like, looking at that, too. Not talk about I think that? we should do what the 97 one. I think we should just do the 97 one, do it out of order next week sometime because it was a Because that's, of, of course, no rules. The, one of the last ones with an active player. 
the, the oldest active player in the NHL, Zdeno Chara, at 43 years of age. He was drafted, I believe, in 96. But uh, Joe Thornton went one, and the Bruins had another pick in the top 10, and a guy that the Flames, I believe, were looking at, and Sergei Samsonov, Samsonov, who was the better player early. I mean, there's some great stories in that draft. But uh, either way, uh, when you make the point about Kobasu, it's like, yeah, sometimes, you know, the, the 14th best player in a draft really ain't that special. In fact, that's probably more common than we'd like to imagine. We're underway on Pinder and Steinberg. Happy Friday. And uh, I'm going to make it a really happy Friday. Um, our good buddy Ryan Leslie has been doing these uh, these great chats on Instagram Live. So you go to IG Live, and uh, Leslie will put it up on his Twitter uh, whenever he's doing one. I'll be like, hey, Troy Brower today, time 7 p.m. sharp, be there. Or, for instance, last night was Sam Bennett of the Calgary Flames on Instagram Live with Ryan Leslie. Now, Sammy Hoods and uh, the Sportsnet Twitter accounts have both put this video out there. Sammy Hoods recorded it last night. And there are so many incredible things about what I'm about to play you. A, the fact that Leslie got Sam Bennett to get his guitar out. B, the uh, co-op music that we hear and see ryan leslie's beard there's probably a d watching leslie crush a neutral let me play the clip and then we'll bring uh, mr leslie on this was last night on instagram live hey, but you gotta sing all right i gotta know the song do you know uh oh god i don't want to do this come on benny you know wonderwall oasis yeah let's do it All right, that, let me, let me restart again. Yeah, I think that's Heart of Gold by Neil Young. <laughs> <laughs> that's my dad. That's one of my dad's favorites. <laughs> today is going to be the day that they're going to throw it back to you. I like it. I think it, I think we could guitar's got to be out of tune or something something yeah it's it's a it's a poor carpenter who blames his tools ben. or maybe it was the the mic or something that's why it yeah. sounded like that uh ryan let's close the key, right i think that's good uh, there is uh there's also your, your timing was a little off as to when to start you needed to come in about a uh a, an octave <laughs> earlier than when listen you to you <laughs> this is rich <laughs> Uh, yeah, and I don't know if I should have gone, you know, aggressive Cockney accent or whatever that was, but um, <laughs> kudos to to Sam Bennett for just throwing it out there and, you know, melting hearts everywhere. Well done. What, uh, there's there's so much there's so much going on in that clip. What uh, <laughs> there's like, a lot going on in we, all of these things. They really are. Like I've I've seen. I've seen, um, you know, I've, I've caught different parts of about three or four of them to this point. Uh, like, there is you crushing a neutral. What flavor was that? That was a cranberry. And the only, you know, that was a, that's Ooh. an official beverage of the National Hockey League. The crest is on Absolutely the Absolutely it is. Yeah. And um, I have a good friend uh, who uh, works with the company and dropped a couple off. So, you know, you need refreshment. And uh, it was a nice day yesterday. So it made sense. And, it was nice, you know. Kelly Rudy and I had a glass of wine on one. You know, Cassie Campbell. I think Brower and I might have even had more than that. So it's, it's. I thought you put it best, uh, uh, Pat, that you said there's coffee with comedians, but then there's beers with NHLers, and I think that's really what we're going for. <laughs> I like it. It's good. And then that 
the beard like when do you uh when do you stop growing that is that a pandemic beard and whenever we're out of this that well, thing comes off i find it you know reassuring that i can grow some hair so that's kind of nice <laughs> that's uh that's big over here um no it's disgusting it's embarrassing um and we'll just see i like it, it. Goes. well I mean, I don't know if it's TV proof, but like it's a pandemic. If you can't grow facial hair in a pandemic, when when are you allowed to grow facial hair? Like I, I well, Pat says every day, he hates shaving. Yeah, I mean, if you don't like shaving, why would you shave? I saw that tweet the other day where some guy posted, you know, if you're going to do any live hits, uh, you've got to have a good bookshelf behind you. You've got to be in sweatpants, and you've got to have a beard. These are the sort of ingredients that have almost mm. become cliche um, in our world. But uh, yeah, it's. It's pretty gray. Um, did a little trimming today. So you have to. Did you? That's a bit of a tease. That's what we call a tease in the business, Pat. Okay. Ooh. Because so you have you've got. Uh, you, who, do you, who do you got coming up next week on, on IT? Well, I'm going back and forth with uh, Christopher Steak's people right now, and uh, we're trying to nail down uh, some time. And uh, I know he had been on your station quite a bit there, so uh, we'll see what kind of scraps you left us. And then. Uh, uh, we're working on Matt Stajan, who's been great at providing me some good little intel on some of the guys. Uh, he told the great story to me yesterday about how he, he beat Sam Bennett in Stajan's final year of doing some chin-ups. And Sam, that's under protest. thought there was some cheating there. Uh, he also told the story about why Bennett uh, had to walk away from the card table because he just couldn't beat the likes of Brower and Kachuk and Stajan. So he just said, I'm out of here. And that was it. And he hasn't returned. Now he watches movies on the plane. Um, so there's all kinds of neat little stories with Stage and Versteeg, and uh, you know we got some. Uh, we're working on some um, some heavy hitters. We'll see how it goes. So yeah, Versteeg uh, has a good piece that uh, popped up on ESPN in the last 24 hours, a Q and A, and got into Taves and Kane and what it was like in Chicago watching that turn into a half full rink into an absolute madhouse that was the envy of the, you know, the sporting world for a while. There's, mm-hmm. there's tons there. That's a good get. If you can get him on, just announce his retirement, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And we had Brower kind of talk a little bit about that time too. And, but for Steve, who I think just has a little bit of that it factor, you know, he's got the great playing resume played in every kind of market, um, be it, not so good to the bright lights of a Canadian market. Uh, he's won. Uh, he's battled. He's kind of self-made man, and and he's got that little twinkle in his eye that's a little devilish. So I think he's got. And now, as having had the chance to work with him a little bit in what I think is going to be a a really good second career for him um, on the broadcast side of things, I just think mm-hmm. that uh, he is a great self-deprecating and wonderful little storyteller so we'll try and dig up some gold and get him going but we've had some really some good ones and i know we talked about in the past so we're going to just kind of keep it going with some some people i thought uh, we had christian fisher on last week we had garnet hathaway we had cassie campbell we had milan lucic who was dynamite he's really taken to the the social media side of it here in uh, in this pause and he's been a lot of fun so yeah as long as guys uh are into it, and it seems like once we get going, it's it's not your typical sort of locker room scrum. It's become really, really fun and some good stories and, and a lot of good laughs. So we even had Noah Hannafin on at the beginning, and his dad popped in with that wicked Boston accent. He's wicked smart, and it's just great to to see these guys let their guard down. Somebody uh, somebody wants to know if uh, this is a throwback to 
the big show with uh, Ryan and Pat, oh, uh, Ryan Leslie and Pat. Uh, somebody uh, wants to know, Luke wants to know if uh, you're going to be interviewing Reed Boucher at any point. Yeah. Well, again, we've got to get to his people. He's a tough get right now. Oh, yeah, he's a little bit more difficult to, rank, to, to wrangle up? Yeah, I mean, we're just starting this thing up. we got to work towards that, so we'll get there. <laughs> and I'm somebody, pushing, you know, uh, we're, we're grinding. Says... I'm trying to get, you know, trying to get Johnny going. He's ghosting me right now, so we're playing a little game of cat and mouse. And we'll see. Uh, Johnny's we'll ghosting see you. Yeah, it's it'll cost him. We'll see. <laughs> I feel. How many times can you what, go to that uh, well? Didn't you? Uh, didn't you surprise your daughter with a Johnny Jeep ride? Like how? How many times can you keep going to right. Johnny for the good? Yeah, well, I mean, I've listened to your show. Well, you tell me. <laughs> well, we don't go to Johnny. We don't. I don't know how that works. That's what I'm asking. <laughs> but you go to the well. Oh, that's all we do is, is go uh, to the well. Are you kidding? That well is dry. All the sports to talk about. Whew. Yeah, no, there's lots yeah, of places is... we can go with Johnny, that's for sure. And and so many of these other guys, it's uh, it's great to, uh, you know, just kind of pull back the curtain a little bit and have some laughs. So, yeah, it's a hoot. I enjoy it. It's uh, Even my daughter's uh, helped me get all set up for it. And my youngest is the uh, is the producer, and we've got a technical director as well. So it's quite a family little affair. You got any TikToks going can... or what? They do. I haven't gone down that road. Have you guys? I'd like to see uh, DJ Power Play's TikTok. I would too. <laughs> I'm, I just, I just, I just figured out exactly what TikTok is and like how it works. I figured it out in the last few days. So I, uh, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure what I could bring to it. Um, but I don't have a creative mind necessarily. But at yeah. the very least, now I understand what TikTok is. Yeah, I, I yeah, I, I don't yet. I mean, I've seen it. My Kids will show me, but I don't know what's going on. Or, or do we? Do I need more? I don't think I need more. I think I need less. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, hey, you're ahead. You're ahead of a lot of people. You know how to work IG Live. Like you've you've given me the idea to see if we can get this show on Instagram Live. I'm like, okay, oh, well, wow. that's not a bad idea. Look, it looks good on. So I, that's that's like the uh, that's the next challenge during this pandemic is to well, see if uh, we can get Pinder and I on IG Live doing the show for four hours a day. That'd be so. You know, I literally when when you guys called here to bring me on, I was uh, on the phone with Dave Randorf, who of course calls. Games are hockey in Canada, and he was calling me on on how to do it. So us old guys are trying to figure this out. And the great thing is, is you know, everybody's got something to say, and you know, is it watered down? I don't know. But the great thing about some of these hockey stories that maybe where some of us old guys can kind of have something that may be different is is these hockey conversations and great stories. And I know um, there's so many. Greg Millen's got one in the booth. Uh, you know, we're doing these kind of lives. It sounds as though Dave Randorf and Louis DeBrusque are going to do one. Gene Prince of has been hitting home runs with his up there as well. He's got Fighter Fridays. Brian McGratton's on there tonight. So there's all kinds of neat. If, you, if you're missing hockey like we all are, you, you can love the replays, and I think you can want live action back. But in the meantime, if you can find a, a guest that is available, chances are these conversations are just something you, you just don't hear so it's kind of neat and kind of rare it's it's not your typical pucks in deep conversation nope not at all it's good stuff my man before we uh yeah. before we let you go can you uh give us just a little lou a couple of requests on the text line oh um 
I saw uh, my friend Brad Fay make a reference to uh, his hair is growing so long he's turning into Nicholas from Eight is Enough, and I, I put out the tweet. Yeah, guy needs a little Adam Rich right about now. Yeah, guy could use a little Eight is Enough. <laughs> yeah, replay. Give me some shit, Screek. Yeah. Yeah, Mets, record this. <laughs> <laughs> Was that not the highlight of the pandemic so far? Well, listening to Labardius absolutely like bending oh. in half. He's laughing so hard over Shit's Creek. I couldn't. That I was like he, honestly. I love when he just breaks down with with laughter. It is. It is outstanding. Sometimes we'll get him on the plane or on the bus, and it, it there's a recovery time. It's great. Yep, it is outstanding. Um, Thank you, buddy. Yeah, I don't know if I've got any new Lou here. I mean, I missed the guy. I don't have any new. <laughs> New content. We're too far geographically distanced, and uh, so I don't have any new content. But uh, there's all kinds of great Lou. If you go into the, you know, there's all volumes of these chapters, and I mean, I think it, you know what? It might this Christmas. It might almost be time to dust off a new Lou's Twelve Days of Christmas. Oh, I think I don't want to call my shot, time. but it's been a while. You can start working the screenplay now. I feel like this is a perfect time to let the creative juices flow. That's amazing. Well, I'll let the good folks uh, who listen to this, who know that version that I did, I'll let them in on the story of how that happened. I left the rink that night. Lou went to the airport shortly after the post-game show with you, Pat, and he was flying back to Toronto after that last game. I drove home and just thought, oh, my gosh, I've got to roast this guy before he goes. So I just wrote that in my car outside of my house. And just went for it with you, Pat, on speakerphone. And we haven't really reached anything quite as good. There was a few call-ins, which we haven't done in a while either, calling in as fake Lou after. That's been a few years. But it might be time. You know, with hockey coming back, we might all need a little something to galvanize us and bring us back. Nothing says that quite like Lou. Yep. I agree, my man. Hey, thanks for doing this. Uh, Keep it going on Instagram Live. It's been outstanding. And uh, we will – you talk about going to the well. I'm sure we'll call you again. We uh, we need to. Hey, anytime. Uh, I'm here, and uh, thanks for the plug. I appreciate it, and uh, I appreciate everybody tuning in. We're uh, we're gonna have some fun, so stay with us. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, guys. Take care. Yep. Ryan Leslie on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Bar may be closed to patrons during these trying times, but they are open for business. Pickup delivery available at 403-248-3344. That's 403-248-3344. There you go, Ryan. I just thought I'd throw that out there because uh, I thought it was outstanding last night. It was pretty uh, It was pretty funny. I uh, I like the accent. You're going to go Oasis. you got to go all in. That was not uh, half-assed. So there you are. No, it was not. Uh, okay. 40th anniversary of Terry Fox's uh, incredible journey and and the anniversary is this month. We'll come back with Terry's brother, Daryl Fox, to talk about uh, what Terry's legacy has been for him and what uh, Terry Fox and, you know, raising funds for his Miracle of Hope, uh, Marathon of Hope, excuse me, what that looks like in the pandemic. That's next. Pinder and Steinberg, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Calgary guys talking Calgary sports. Pinder and Steinberg are only on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. It is a Friday. We've got a great show lined up. We'll be talking Flames prospects with Tori Peterson at 3 o'clock. We'll revisit the 2000 NHL draft from Calgary of all places at 3.30. Rick Ball, voice of the Calgary Flames on Sportsnet, will join us as well. And Mark Giordano, 20 minutes with the Flames captain all ahead of 5 o'clock. Right now, we'll welcome in Daryl Fox 
on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, Mr. Fox. How are you today? Mr. Fox, Ryan, please. I feel dated mm-hmm. enough as it is. Daryl will do. I'm fine. How are you? Well, I'm well. I always enjoy our, our, our what's becoming an annual chat now. This would be the uh, 40th anniversary of, of Terry's Marathon of Hope. What does that mean? 40 years. I mean, I guess that makes us all feel old, doesn't it? It sure does. It really, you know, as I probably uh, suggested before, it doesn't seem like 40 years ago that Terry started the Marathon of Hope uh, last weekend, but but it is. And I think it's because Terry's still, you know, his story's still relevant. It's still powerful. It's still moving people. And uh, in my humble opinion, it, it will forevermore. Yeah. And you know what? That's probably a good place to start because I think this is clearly a story that moved this nation coast to coast to coast 40 years ago and continues to have a significant impact with, you know, young kids will have Terry Fox runs. I mean, everyone's well aware, but I feel like internationally, the story's finally getting some more run of late. And I know Steve Nash, uh, you know, was a big force behind getting a documentary done and that a lot of other Canadians are spreading that message. Maybe tell us about what Terry's message has, has been like internationally over the years. Well, it, 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 guess, guess what? It is universal because uh, cancerous. I mean, uh, cancer doesn't discriminate. It touches everyone in, in every country or around the world. So um, maybe it's obvious that uh, Terry's story is, uh, has been passed on and, and is crossing borders uh, because Terry Foxers exist in every, every country, the average person making a world of difference. Uh, and, uh, you know, I've been lucky enough, fortunately, as a family member to, to visit some of the international runs. Recently, actually two years ago, I was down in Brazil. And, um, you know, a little bit of a, a, a language issue, but, um, but again, the story translates well. And it was visiting schools down there, and it was amazing, Ryan, to see how the children reacted to Terry. To them, it wasn't 40 years ago or 38 years ago mm-hmm. when I was down there. Um, it could have been last week, and they were so moved by his story and, and inspired by it. And I, you could see how it was having an impact on them, and they'll grow up learning you know, the, the qualities of, of giving back and helping others and trying your very best, which is very much a part of who Terry was. He's, he remains an impactful figure in a lot of uh, prominent Canadians' lives. Uh, tell us about Sidney Crosby and how Terry's involved in his life. Well, funny that you should suggest that. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I would have to share now things in light of what's happening in the world. Uh, you know, we were we had major plans for for April 12th last week and the the, the day Terry started the Marathon of Hope, but uh, uh, they've been postponed as opposed to cancelled. And one of the projects we will be sharing um, coming up is is a, a book that we've been working on, um, and one of the contributors is um, is Sydney. And um, we knew he was a, a fan, but we didn't know that he actually had a had a an image of Terry in his um, in his house in his entranceway. So that was pretty cool to find out just uh, how um, how he's been moved by Terry's uh, uh, marathon of hope so many years ago. Well, yeah, and I, I just think about that message, how it would move if you know Sidney Crosby's got a lot of time and attention from anyone around him, and. The first thing you see when you walk in his house is Terry Fox. That's that's unbelievable. That's so cool. What were some other famous interactions that, that Terry had uh, with prominent athletes? Because it sounded like uh, the old Oilers and Terry got along great. Oh, they, they they did. You know, and 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 Wayne Gretzky quickly obviously comes comes to mind, and I still recall the vi- vi- the visit that uh, Wayne um, paid uh, to the house and. 
And it was actually um, in April of, of 81, so this was post-Terry finishing or uh, having to stop his, his run and pre him passing away in June. And I just showed, I just thought it showed a lot of character for, 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 for Wayne to make, uh, um, you know, that visit and, um, and it showed how he was inspired. I'm actually a little emotional about it because I, you know, it, it meant so much to us as a family, but it meant so much to Terry. I mean, as we shared before, Terry was a huge, he loved, you know, the sport of hockey. He, he loved the game. And to have that visit uh, was was so important to Terry, and it really inspired and and gave him hope, and was uh, an important moment in his life. What does the pandemic mean for you guys? You talked about uh, cancellation of some events. Uh, I believe September twentieth is the day that a lot of places will will do the run. Uh, that probably isn't a hard yes or a hard no at this point. But but what do these unique times mean uh, for you folks? Well, you know, it was, again, I'm reflecting back to last week, and um, it, we were really um, overwhelmed by the love for, for, for Terry on, on Sunday. Um, and it, it was more than coast to coast. It was, it was global. Terry was trending. Um, so we know that uh, Terry Foxers out there are, are chomping at the bit to, to do something. I mean, cancer is not respecting social distancing right now. 600 people sure. will be diagnosed with cancer today. So we know we need to, to be ready, and, um, you know, it might be a different um, event come September. Um, not sure we'll be in a position, we don't know, but to, to gather physically. But, um, but we are looking at other options in terms of what we can do, and, and you know, a virtual, virtual run is, is an option that we are considering at this time because we know that Canadians will want to, especially in this unique and, and anniversary year, they will want to not only remember, reflect on Terry, but also loved ones that have been touched by this disease. Yeah, no question. We're chatting with Daryl Fox, younger brother, Terry Fox, and uh, on behalf of the Terry Fox Foundation as well. Um, give us a, a note on exactly what uh, fundraising looks like in this time. I know a lot of charities are hurting and what sort of ways that people can contribute or help if this conversation brings uh, Terry and his Marathon of Hope back to front of mind. Well, Please visit uh, Terry, terryfox.org. Um, we are out there now. We, we you know, we are uh, looking for support and don- donations. And we, again, we were so um, moved by the response last weekend, and, and people were giving. Um, and we, you know, there there is a need right now, and there will continue to be a need. So we appreciate all the all the support we can get. It's also been cool to to reflect. You know what I've been doing um, the last week. We've been doing is just. You know, remembering where Terry was at this time, and it's been kind of cool to go through the, the his uh, journal that he kept during the Marathon of Hope, and and see the struggles that he was going through on a daily basis. I mean, I knew that we knew that that uh, weather was an issue, and and the and the terrain was an issue, and you know, starting and, and running in in uh, starting in St. John's and running across the province of Newfoundland, and and it, he's constantly talking about. You know, it just seemed like an endless hill he was running up, and and the 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 wind that never rested, and and you know, it's, it's challenging enough for an able-bodied person to run, but to to run on our leg and to have to carry the brunt of that that force of wind, which is always in his face. And then he's talking, you know, just yesterday about um, being impacted by a blizzard. <laughs> having to run through a blizzard, um, and yet he kept running, Ryan, like nothing, 
nothing was going to stop him. Whatever was put in front of him, he just ran through it. And it, it's just, again, brought uh, further inspiration to, to all of us to see what he was going through at this time 40 years ago. So how old are you at that point, and, and what are your memories of it versus, I guess, reading and revisiting the journal and living through it through all the literature and, and you know, film and movies about it? Well, I was I um, missed out on the, the first six weeks of, of the Marathon of Hope, so I wasn't there on April 12th when Terry started. I, I joined up in St. John, New Brunswick uh, on May 31st, and... Um, to be honest, I was just delighted. I, I got a free pass out of school, so I was <laughs> I was jumping for joy at that that opportunity. I I was able to to write my finals because I was in my final year of high school early and and jumped on my first first plane and uh, flew to to St. John and and never forget that um, that first um, uh, image of Terry running and I'd seen him run. Um, you know many of the the miles that he that he ran training for the marathon of hope people don't realize that terry ran uh, over 3000 miles even before he started the marathon of hope but to, to see him that that day was that much more um special and powerful because you knew he was in the midst of actually carrying out and fulfilling a dream and and as i shared uh, in my uh, comment earlier you you also knew that nothing was going to stop him that was it, it, that was out of you know that was in his control that he was capable of running through everything so and that's what i that's what i did for the the next three months as the third member of the marathon of hope i, I witnessed a, a miracle i witnessed terry run an average of close to a marathon every day 443 days in a row and i also witnessed a nation embrace my brother and though I was exceptionally naive I was only 17 at the time I I knew that I was witnessing something something really special and uh, something that I thought would be with me forevermore and it certainly is and, and then some when did the country feel that way because I think when uh, we remember it you'd think oh this has got to be you know, leading the news every night, but it did take a while for this to gain steam. And even reading through some of uh, Terry's journal entries, there's a sense of momentum as he continues to move west. Yeah, absolutely, Ryan. I, I mean, I, I always, you know, I'm not, you know, I, I certainly it, it reached another level in Ontario, but I, I'd like, I always like to acknowledge, uh, you know, the the eastern provinces, the Maritimes, Newfoundland, for for their contribution and. And the impact uh, they had, and, and giving Terry that support that he needed, and there was support. Uh, um, you know, for example, Port of Basque, the last um, community uh, in in Newfoundland that that uh, Terry visited and, and ran to before he jumped on the, the ferry to to Cape Breton. Community population ten thousand people. Um, they raised ten thousand dollars. Um, and that's where Terry came up with the idea of asking for a dollar from every Canadian. So the support was there um, throughout uh, the early uh, weeks of the Marathon of Hope, but it certainly reached an, another level um, when we reached, you know, the bigger cities like Montreal, and then when we crossed the border into into um, into Ontario at, at Hawkesbury, um, <laughs> it was just just another level. Um, and it was both good and not so good um, because now Terry had that support um, and the fundraising, which was everything to him that he was looking for and dreaming of.
but it also had um, tremendous side effects and repercussions as well because now everyone wanted a piece of Terry. You know, they wanted to hear from him. Um, so he had to balance that that challenge of running every day, which was everything to him and what he wanted to do, but he also had to find time to, because people only, they don't want to hear, listen to Daryl Fox or Doug Allward, Terry's friend who drove the van. They wanted to listen to Terry. And so it was a difficult balance for him because he knew he needed to do both. He Because fundraising and raising money was ultimately what it was about. So it was always a, a, a difficult challenge and, and, and hard for us um, to witness, those of us, you know, who were part of the entourage and wanted to do something to help Terry, but we were helpless in that situation. So then move us forward to September 1st in Thunder Bay, where there was, um, you know, the conclusion. What um, Take us through the emotions and, and what you recall of that portion. Yeah, it's not my favorite day, Ryan. <laughs> you know, I, I, I prefer to focus on September 2nd and every day after. You know, it wasn't the way it was supposed to end. Um, I have shared how I was a younger brother who idolized his older brother, who, after witnessing the Marathon of Hope, thought he was invincible, that he could run through everything. But um, guess what? He couldn't. You know, um, cancer returned and... Um, um, was was now in in his lungs and in both lungs, and um, it was it was a, a, a terrible day, a horrible day, and a tough way to to have to to come home. You know, instead of you know we were Terry was two thirds of the way across the country at that time, and was pumped and excited and thinking about home and you know dipping his artificial leg in the Pacific Ocean. Um, you know, the next thing we know we're we're, Terry's on a private jet flying home, and we're on a, a regular flight, Doug and I, wondering what just happened. So um, so that's that's always there. It's always close and and difficult. But um, but then I think we, and, you know, Terry helped us all with, with, with stating, you know, the Marathon of Hope must continue. Um, you know, I'm only one member, and... Um, and, you know, this is happening for a reason, is what he said. And, and that's why I guess we are still here and still, you know, furthering Terry's dream. The baton has been passed to every Canadian, every educator, every um, child who supports and participates in the annual Terry Fox. And we are committed to continuing this until we solve all the answers to the disease that is cancer. And we're, we're a long way um, along that path, for sure. Daryl Fox with us, Terry Fox's brother, the 40th anniversary of Terry's Marathon of Hope uh, this month, the beginning of that, the conclusion in September, as we alluded to. For those of us that remember Terry Fox School, our Terry Fox run growing up in school, what can you tell us now about how the story is integrated with our education system and and in young people's lives? Well, it's very, very important to to us because educators uh, are continually telling us that they, they need more stuff, they need more material, so... We're constantly uh, offering um, educational materials, lesson plans to, to schools um, to, to, so they know more about, uh, about Terry, uh, you know, hence the reason why there, you know, last year there were 9,000 schools that hosted Terry Fox runs ac- across the country. That's an, a very important part of, of what we do. And for sure, we, it's a fundraiser first, but, uh, but it's also an opportunity to, to share Terry's 
qualities with um with the the younger generation that um you know I mean, what we what I always like to say when I when I'm talking about Terry to a younger audience is that he wasn't special because he wasn't I mean he was average in every way um an average athlete a very average student but he excelled just because of his work ethic so we're all capable of that each and every one of us and I I think that's a, a message that that really um is absorbed by the next generation that you know anything is possible if you try and and really, limitations are, are self-imposed. Um, so that's a, you know, the school program is is critical and very important to us. Again, for for many reasons. Daryl, I do appreciate your time a ton on this day. I know it's not always easy revisiting that, but uh, the work that you and the rest of the folks at the Terry Fox Foundation uh, continue to do is outstanding, and uh, we couldn't be more proud as Canadians to have people like yourself uh, keeping Terry's message alive today. Thanks, Ryan. Always enjoyable talking to you. I look forward to watching the hockey games tonight. Yes, right on. Thank you, Daryl. Appreciate <laughs> <Okay>. that. <Take laughs> well, some classic ones at best, right? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Thanks very much. There's okay. uh, there's Daryl Fox uh, from the Terry Fox Foundation, the 40th anniversary. And again, we'd encourage you to go to terryfox.org to learn more. Maybe you're a teacher. Maybe uh, you're a parent and your kids are at home. Here's a lesson plan for you. There's a bunch of stuff on the website, including some uh, phenomenal insights, Terry's journal, a map, and of course, uh, ways that you can donate to help uh, bring to the end uh, the horrible disease of cancer. Okay, we'll take a break, come back. We'll talk some Flames prospects after three o'clock, revisit the 2000 draft that was held here in Calgary at the Saddledome. Rick Ball, voice of the Flames on Sportsnet Television at four o'clock as well. And we'll hear from the captain, Mark Giordano, all before five o'clock. As for the baseball and hockey, well, it's Back into the time machine we go tonight, 2015, Game 5, Jays-Rangers from the Rogers Center. Uh, that phenomenal bat flip that will not be forgotten anytime soon by Blue Jays fans and the Flames and Lightning, the 4 Stanley Cup Final. Uh, it is Game number 5 tonight from Tampa Bay. That's all ahead. Sports at 960, the fan. Calgary guys staying at home. Ryan Pinder and Pat Steinberg talking sports, pop culture, life, and anything else. Your afternoon diversion is right here. Stream online at sportsnet.ca slash 960. Download the Sportsnet or Radio Player Canada apps. Pinder and Steinberg are on Sportsnet 960, the fan. Later this hour, looking back at the 2000 NHL draft as we continue our NHL redrafts on Pinder and Steinberg but right now let's talk some Flames prospects because let's be uh, let's be perfectly honest everything has wrapped up in the hockey world the only leagues that haven't officially canceled their seasons are the NHL and the American Hockey League European leagues and uh, the major junior leagues in this country have all wrapped up which means we can start to take a season wrap on Calgary Flames prospects. Time to welcome in Tori Peterson from CalgaryFlames.com, who is uh, the foremost authority on Flames prospects. Hello, Piz. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. How uh, You're a homebody to begin with, so I, I don't know if quarantine life has been all that much of an adjustment for you, but how uh, how is life in quarantine? It's you know what, and I say this knowing that I'm in the minority, I've been 100% fine. Like, it wasn't a huge adjustment um, other than adjusting to, like, meetings and calls uh, and emails. The influx of emails has definitely been uh, something to adjust to. But otherwise, I am very grateful for my ability to really settle into the quarantine because it really hasn't been a struggle for me. 
um, which I do know is not the case for a lot of people. If you haven't worked from home before, it can be a huge adjustment, but I've had enough time working at home over the years that it was pretty seamless. So knock on wood has not been bad. Well, that's good. I'm glad. And uh, I know that you're working on some cool stuff at calcuryflames.com and uh, you're uh, doing some different things on the different social sites. We'll get to that in just a second. But uh, the season has wrapped for Calgary Flames prospects. And I guess the the guy that is probably most noteworthy to start with is Dustin Wolf, who got another accolade today, was named the WHL's Western Conference Goaltender of the Year. So he is up for Goalie of the Year in the WHL. Just another accolade in what has been a a pretty stellar season for the former seventh-round pick and goaltender of the Everett Silvertips. Absolutely. And it has been an incredible year, especially when you look at his numbers and what he's been able to do. He's, he's a workhorse in Everett. He does most of the work there in net for them. And he's been able to put up consistently incredible numbers throughout the year. Uh, but this isn't any different than his draft eligible year, which is, is even more incredible. He put similar numbers up in Everett uh, the year he was drafted. So to see that consistency year after year has been really good. There was no dip Uh, I think he's taken a definite step forward this year, Um, especially as you get older, you get a little more mature. Um, Understanding the pressure that comes with being drafted can be a challenge for some kids, but he's taken it in stride and he continues to just absolutely dominate that league. And uh, I'd be, if I were to be a betting person here, I'd probably put his name down for goaltender of the year. I don't know how you don't give it to him, but uh, to be named the Western conference goaltender of the year is a huge accolade. And uh, it's great to see him really thriving with Everett. Begs the question, though, is it is it just a size thing as to why we're talking about him as a as a seventh round pick of the Flames? Because everything else would suggest this guy should have gone a whole lot higher. Because those numbers, you you said it, two years in a row he put up outstanding numbers, and it's not like his draft year he was coming off a, a tough year. Like his his numbers last season were outstanding. So how come we're talking about Dustin Wolf going in the seventh round? Uh, for gold, for you see smaller skaters go a bit more now. Uh, now that you know the size bias isn't nearly there as it was before for skaters, but goaltenders, people want big goaltenders. They seem to thrive in the NHL. So when you're looking at how teams are drafting these smaller guys, just aren't getting a chance. I was shocked he was available in the seventh round. I'm still shocked, like a year later, that he was available in the seventh round. He is he is smaller for a goaltender. I don't think he's as tiny as people perceive him to be. Uh, he's six feet. Um, that's what we have him listed at. He's under 160 pounds, so definitely uh, the muscle needs to be developed there for sure um, as he gets ready to turn pro whenever that may be. Um, but the size thing for goaltenders is a huge hurdle, it seems like, when it comes to drafting and scouting. A lot of guys that are smaller just aren't getting those chances because there is this consensus that you need large goaltenders to really dominate in the NHL. So I think for him, like it, it gives him a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, right? Like, okay, you're going to take me in the seventh round after I did that. Like I'll show everyone who doubted me and didn't want to take me and really prove myself. And he's taken that and he's been able to build an incredible WHL career. Um, I think he has 20 shutouts, which is tied for fifth of all time in the WHL. And if he goes back and plays there again, he, like he's going to be in the top three, I'm sure when he finishes off his WHL career, Um, like the kid just continues to prove doubters wrong. And like, it's not unheard of for an 18 year old kid to grow a few inches too. So you never know. He could Mm -hmm. get taller and it could make it even more crazy that he fell to the seventh round, but he's uh, definitely needs to put on some muscle, but 
I don't think the size is as big of an issue as people seem to perceive it, uh, just because of his pure skill. So what what then would be the kind of likely outcome for next season he is a 19 year old next year so he will be eligible to play in the world juniors for the united states once again like is that is that probably the most likely outcome world juniors and another great year with everett i would think so especially considering the way this season ended in the whl like they didn't really have a chance to close the chapter on this season at all it just ended there was no playoffs there's no nothing that's a hard pill to swallow especially for a team like everett who is second place in the u.s division and only by a point like them and portland were neck and neck Mm -hmm. so there's some unfinished business there as a team um as an individual and i think in terms of his development that's probably the best place for him because he does need to get stronger for sure absolutely and it's going to take some dedication there to add the weight onto the frame but it also gives him an opportunity to play in those high pressure situations that goalies do need to go through world juniors um number one and then playoffs next year number two um, to be able to give him more skill and something else to build off before he turns pro. Where where does that kind of put him in the entire Flames goaltending conversation as a whole? And and you know it's one of the it's one of the hottest topics whenever you talk about the Calgary Flames is is what this goaltending situation looks like. So where where do you see him? compared to the rest of the goalies the Flames have in the system right now? Well, obviously there's a few years down the road before you'd even consider what his NHL career could look like because he does need to finish off his junior career. Um, It's very rare for a goaltender to go, you know, right from junior to the NHL. Um, I can't see that happening. Uh, Goaltending is such a unique position. You need Mm -hmm. time to really develop. Um, That's where the AHL is great for that. It allows them to get used to a system that the team that they're drafted by is going to play with. Um, It allows them to get used to bigger, heavier body crashing the net. Um, Just the overall increased intensity. So the AHL is definitely a perfect spot for him to hone his skills, I think, in the next two years. If I were to put a, a you know a guess on when he'd land in the the AHL probably two years from now but um, compared to the other goaltenders in the system the Flames have some guys that have been in the pros for a while and probably want to push for that NHL spot now that they have the AHL experience you have a John Gillies who's been in the pros for quite a few years now and has built up a reputation has some NHL experience uh, Tyler Parsons spent most of the years in uh, the ECHL with Kansas City um honing his craft he had a rough start to his pro career with injuries and other issues coming up so his trajectory definitely was slowed down a bit just by that um and then you have artem degadulin who is uh just coming off his first year in stockton signed that entry-level contract last summer um was great in the khl and then came in and i think really turned a lot of heads in development camp and then in uh, the rookie games that they played in september uh particularly i believe it's that game in red deer where he was just absolutely lights out astounding. And people are like, this guy is the real deal. But he had to go to the AHL and really experience what pro life is like mm-hmm. in uh, North America because it is a lot different. Like in Russia, they play a very possession-heavy game, and he wasn't facing the quantity or quality of shots that he was facing in the AHL. So he, I think he played 30 games down there. He had up-and-down spots, which you expect for a guy who's never played in North America before. Uh, also, the language barrier does come into play. Um, the Flames had a translator there when he first came into development camp and at rookie camp. So he was able to get a little more acclimatized that way. But uh, it does take some time to adjust. 
And he had two shutouts this year. And when he was hot, he was hot. Like, you couldn't stop him. But he did have some bumps in the road, which you expect. So I'd be intrigued to see where that goes down the line. Because it was a one-year entry-level deal. He was 23 when he signed. So I'm not sure what the plan is for him personally. But I think he took a big, big stride forward coming over. With Tori Peterson of CalgaryFlames.com wrapping up things for Flames prospects for the uh, 2019-20 season because seasons are now finished as we just wait to see what's going to happen on the NHL front. Tell us about 2019 first-round pick Jacob Pelche, who had some really nice highs on the ice but also had some struggles off the ice with injuries this year. What was the first year like for Pelche as an official member of the Flames organization? Well, he did have the injury that unfortunately happened right before the World Juniors, which killed off his chance to play at the World Juniors, which I know is a huge blow for a kid who wants to represent his country. Uh, I think he would have played a pretty big role for Canada had he been able to play. So that's tough. That's a tough break right before a major tournament in your career, a major milestone. Um, But he finished off the year really nicely. He had a bit of a dip in January. Uh, I think it was just getting back from injury and getting reacclimatized, everything that was happening in Moncton. Um, but he had 32 goals, 82 points on the year. He played 57 games, so decent numbers. Uh, six game winners, which was tied for the team lead, which is also nice to see. Um, I think overall, if you're trying to grade his 2019-20 season, I think it was a really good step for him. Um, it gave him some perspective in terms of, you know, you go through that injury and you have to be mature about it, get through it, and overcome adversity, which can be very hard for an 18-year-old. Um, but he, I think he handled it well, was able to find his game again in February and really finish off the year strong while the season came to an abrupt end. But I think his last two months have been pretty strong. He's been able to show that he's that offensively gifted player that the Flames had plucked in the first round last year. Um, he's very creative with the puck, which is cool to see. And he isn't hesitant to battle his way and make space for himself. He's a smaller guy. He's under six feet. But he doesn't shy away from the physical play, which you like to see in a player with his kind of style. Um, You had uh, put out a little tweet last night and again today just to see if uh, some of your followers on Twitter had any guys they'd like to hear you give some updates on. And one of the guys that was uh, a frequent response was Glenn Godden, who has had back-to-back really good seasons in the American Hockey League, and, and this year especially looked like he had taken another step from his rookie year. Tell us about where Glenn Godden is. Not a drafted prospect of the Flames, but a guy they signed. But tell us a little bit more about Godden's pro- uh, progression and how things are looking heading into next season. And it's just so unfortunate how the season came to a halt there for everyone because I think he was on the cusp of of a call-up. If someone was injured, I don't know how you don't call this guy up because he was absolutely lights out for Stockton this year. Uh, Led the team in points with 47. He played 53 games, and he set all new career highs this year despite playing a lower number of games, um, which is great to see. Um, Has a ton of bite to his game. Like He is not afraid to mix things up. He plays a pretty aggressive style. Um, and he's just, he's very tenacious on the puck. Um, and I could, like, if you're talking about guys who are kind of, you know, right at the cusp of getting that call up, I would put his name front and center. Um, it was just about timing and injury and the team had, who they had here and where does he fit in the system. There's a lot that goes into call-ups, but I would say if there was a forward spot open and they needed to bring someone up, I would guess Glenn's probably the top of the list just because he has been able to perform so well at the pro level, uh, a really mature guy too. Like 
he's a coach's dream. He, he can thrive in any situation. And the fact that the Flames were able to sign him as a free agent is really cool, too. He was drafted originally by St. Louis, but they did not sign him. So uh, they plucked him out of Swift Current, and he's done nothing but impress ever since. He's a guy that I, I would suggest probably will be one of the, the players that, you know, we're talking about going into training camp next season and say, okay, we'll keep an eye on Glenn Godden. Is he a guy every year there's bubble players that we talk about? I, I would suggest that Godden will be at the top of that list next year. Absolutely. And uh, people will see his offensive numbers in Stockton. He is leading their team's leading scorer this year. Um, I wouldn't expect him to play that role here. Um, he's a bigger guy. He's over six feet. He's close to 200 pounds. And like I said, he's, he's an aggressive player. He plays that physical style. can fit in the bottom six really well. And I think his style of play uh, is really uh, meldable, if that's a, even a word, that you're able to kind of slot him in where you need, to, you need him to be, and he can adjust wherever you need him to play, uh, which is a great sign for a, a young player trying to cut his cloth in the NHL. But uh, I think you'll probably see him fighting for one of those spots in the next training camp, just because he has all the attributes that you like to see in that third or fourth line role. And his t- now I know, again, it was a kind of a rough season from an injury standpoint for Matthew Phillips, but another guy that is drafted by the Flames, um, but you weren't necessarily looking at when he was drafted as a guy that, well, there's a surefire player to play in the NHL, but you could take a look at Matthew Phillips' numbers for a second straight year in the American League, and again, they, they really pop off the page for you. They do. You have to definitely look at games played, too, for you, because I think he's fifth in team scoring. Uh, but he had that, that brutal injury in the middle of the season that cut his season pretty short. It was, uh, I think, 38 games he played. Um, but he was close to a point per game this year. Um, he continues to show that he can play. The biggest question around him is his size. He's 5'7", smaller guy, probably 160 pounds. So the biggest question was always and has always been his size. Can he thrive at a professional level? Um, he torched the WHL when he was playing in Victoria. Um, he was like a lights-out dominant player there. But he came into Stockton and has shown that he can adjust his style of game and still be an offensive contributor. Um, he's very smart. He's able to adjust how he plays uh, to ensure that he's still in those prime scoring positions or playmaking positions. Um, it's not, uh, people see the size and they immediately think Johnny, it's an easy comparison, but I think he, he definitely plays a different style than Johnny. Um, a little bit more physical despite the, the smaller stature, but, uh, um, I'm curious in a full season without the injury where he would have ended up, uh, in terms of team scoring. Cause I think him and Glenn would have been going head to head for that title of top scorer in the American league this year. We're chatting with Tori Peterson of CalgaryFlames.com, wrapping up the season for a number of Calgary's top prospects. And another player that has really caught the eye of a lot of people of late is Emilio Peterson. Uh, I know that you're a big fan of his just because you guys share a differently spelled but similar last name. But what uh, he, he all of a sudden has turned into a really interesting prospect in this organization a couple of years at the University of Denver, and, and he's put up some good numbers. He has. And uh, Brad Trilliving yesterday in the media call that we had with him um, was asked about him, and he expects him to go back next year for his junior year in in Denver, um, which I think is a really good choice. He is a smaller guy, so you're seeing him physically develop and get ready to turn pro and add some muscle onto his frame. Uh, He's a really complete player um, and always has been. He's very mature for his age in terms of um, his defensive awareness He has a strong back-checking ability that a lot of younger players just don't have. It takes time to develop. Um, 
this year he had 13 goals, which more than doubled his goals last year as a as a freshman. Um, 35 points in 36 games, so great to see, almost a point per game. Um, but I think that defensive and neutral zone awareness is really what stands out to me because he's so smart and so responsible. And sometimes that takes years to develop, but he just seems to have it naturally built into his game. Um, I know that uh, Denver would be very sad to lose him if he chose to turn pro. So um, I would assume he's going back for his junior year, and that's what the team is assuming. And I think it's only going to do good things for his development to have that extra college year under his belt. Because like the rest of these guys, like they didn't really have any closure to this season. It just ended. There's nothing there. So mm-hmm. you'd like to be able to cap off your collegiate career um, with a strong performance and potentially push for the NCAA championship. Um, but I'm, I think next year you're going to see him be the leader of that Denver team. What's new at CalgaryFlames.com? Oh, well, you know what? The the upside to this entire situation is, is that it makes you really think outside the box, which um, I appreciate. You have to be more creative. Um, we have literally no live sports going on, so all of a sudden we have to create things and find unique concepts and fun things that fans actually want to see. So uh, myself, Brendan Parker, Ryan Dietrich, Alex Medina have all been working um, pretty heavily on a lot of different projects. Um, Brendan has been doing Zoom interviews with just about everyone, uh, which has been great. And it's kind of a cool way to see these guys in their own homes and chat with what they're doing and how they've been handling being isolated. Um, We've got a prospect series, as we're talking about prospects, coming up. I'm starting on that next week. We've launched TikTok, which has been really cool. Alex has been taking the lead on that. Um, And we are pushing to do some more video stuff, some more polished productions, which we would never have had time to, um, really, because during the summer, most people tend to take their time off and their vacation time and get some R&R in. Um, and right now, like knock on wood, we would have been in playoffs had this whole thing not happened. Mm-hmm. So having the extra time to really build out some stuff has been really cool. And it's reinvigorated a lot of us, I think, um, league wide in terms of what we want to do for content and storytelling. So uh, we've got three or four major projects in the go right now that most of them will be launching within the next week. And we're all really excited about it. We have the podcast as well, which I believe you're going to be hopping on at some point soon. Uh, we had a couple a couple guys who wanted to be on, so we, we knocked those interviews off to get them on the podcast. But I think you're going to be on pretty soon, which is cool. So we have a ton going on. It's been actually very busy for zero live sports. Uh, can you, before we let you go, um, can you give us a little bit – I think that we have some of our listeners that that would be very aware. I've only in the last, I want to say, 72 hours, like I just officially joined Instagram today. Um, and oh, this my is something, God. I know. You've been Big telling day. me to get on it for the last uh, six years. Uh, yep. So I, I just officially joined Instagram today. Um, and then I, I don't know if I'll ever join TikTok. I don't know if I have what it takes to make interesting content there. But can you please tell our listeners what TikTok is? Because I think you'd be able to give a better <laughs> actual description than I would. It's a... It's a video-based app, uh, which is tailored specifically for music, generally speaking. Um, And it's just about having fun. That's the only way I can describe it, is it's just about having fun. So uh, there's tons of dance challenges. We have Harvey the Hound is going to be involved. Um, He's currently trying to learn some dance moves, which is um, 
what is he, his TikTok debut will probably be next week because he's going to need some time to learn the moves. Um, but it's all about, it's just fun. Like that's what it is. It's about having fun. It's not about breaking news. It's not about anything like that. So it's silly, fun stuff that uh, I think fans will appreciate, especially right now. Um, I know some people are having really tough times and, and I'm very aware of that. We want people to be able to have some lightheartedness um, and some fun in their lives. So we've been working hard on building out some content and getting Harvey involved, the other mascots. We're going to try to get some of the guys doing the challenges. Um, so we're having fun with it, and that's that's what it is. It's fun. It's not meant to break news or anything like that. It's just about being able to have some fun. I think I'm going to join TikTok, but I don't think I'd ever be able to do anything that would uh, that, that anybody would want to see. I just enjoy I would it. pay money to see you do a dance challenge, just to let you know. Like if there, we could turn this into some kind of charitable component here. If you would just do some dances, because I think people would pay money to see Pat Steinberg well, I... try to master TikTok dance challenges. Just like the, 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 there's the song by the weekend. That's one of the big TikTok dance crazes that yep. everybody's doing. And, and light. A few other ones. Yeah, exactly. So I'll I'll, I'll take slide. it under advisement. How's that? There you go. Thanks, Piz. Uh, how can we find you on Twitter? It's just my name, Tori Peterson, not Piz. It's Tori Peterson, T-O-R-I-E-P-E-T-E-R-S-O-N. Uh, same with Instagram. I've been really lucky. Because I was an early adopter of these platforms, I got my actual name. That's good. That's uh, that's actually outstanding. I did not. I was on Twitter pretty early, but clearly I uh, just joined Instagram, and I'm not even going to like actually officially start talking about Instagram until I figure it out. I got to learn how to do the stories. I got to learn how to do all the fancy fonts and the filters. So I got to learn first before I start actually rolling it out. That's the way that. Uh, and uh, I have been telling you for six years to join. It's true. Like it's been years, and you just keep like kept resisting. So I'm glad that it finally took self isolation to get you to join the platform. Trying to better myself. That's what I'm trying to do. And, uh, <laughs> don't know if this is the way to do it, but I am trying to better myself. Uh, thanks, Tor. Uh, stay safe. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Tori Peterson from CalgaryFlames.com, wrapping things up for uh, Calgary Flames prospects for the season. Uh, she does a great job covering over uh, covering them over at CalgaryFlames.com. She joins us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Barcast Hotline. The bar may be closed to patrons during these trying times, but they are open for business. Pickup or delivery is available by calling 403-248-3344. That's 403-248-3344. The 2000 NHL Draft, what did it, uh, what did it provide for us for future Hall of famers i think there's only one of them and once again he came in the seventh round we'll tell you about that next on pinder and steinberg sportsnet 960 the fan pinder and steinberg continues on sportsnet 960 the fan all right welcome back it is friday it's 3 30 the uh, blue skies to the north have grayed over we're getting a little overcast pat uh beer delivery has arrived boys Ooh, got get? the bike ride uh well our Got a bunch of common crown tall boys. I'm very happy about it. Uh, what uh, like what are the go tos of of all the different? I really like all their beers. I feel like they are. Uh, oh, there's a lot of breweries. You're like, wow, their branding's awesome, and I don't really love their beer. Whereas like Common Crown just changed their branding. It's great, but it, it's always been about the beer for me with those guys. So that's great. I wanted to start ordering from a bunch of different microbreweries around town, but I just can't stop ordering from these guys right now. So maybe next week I'll get a shipment from elsewhere. And I feel like uh, the pandemic's a good time to support your local breweries. Um, I'm certainly got to get back to Wild Rose and get some more beer from them as well. And I want to try some of the other places around town. So just a good chance to 
do a little uh, adventuring in your own backyard or at least the breweries around town. That's that's sort of the plan. Well, and on the Wild Rose front, our uh, friends over there have all uh, have have come on board with us once again. One of our look, I mean, we we are so thankful for all of our advertisers sticking with us, um, and and those who haven't been able to, we totally understand. Those who have stuck with us, we appreciate more than you can know. And Wild Rose is one of those. They've gotten on board with our 7 p.m. salute, and we're trying to make that an even bigger thing in the city of Calgary. And uh, if if you live downtown or or near downtown, you can probably hear it every day at seven o'clock when people get out in their decks and start banging pots and pans or clapping or cheering or whatever it may be to salute our frontline workers and our healthcare workers and uh now wild rose has got on board and uh, sponsoring that and and we're, we're still working i don't have all the details on exactly what we're doing we should find out more on monday but wild rose is going to get some prize packs and we're going to be uh nominating yes. some frontline workers and stuff like that so uh looking forward to that we should have more details on it for monday Good local beer. Love it. Okay, here's we're back. It's every other day we've been doing it. We may ramp things up over the next few weeks because we've had some fun. And to be fair, there's not a lot of live sports that we've been able to talk about. Uh, it is day now. Do you want to guess what day of the apocalypse, the sports apocalypse? We're in the we're in? 30s? I'm going to say 36. I'll say we are day 37 Whoa. of the sports Ooh. apocalypse. Sorry, Logan. That's all right. But uh, on this 37th day of the sports apocalypse, we travel back to Calgary in the summer of 2000 where the entry draft took place at the Scotiabank Saddle Dome and the flavor was Calgary hockey players Pat Danny Heatley a local boy that went to Wisconsin Chris Kalanis local boy that went and played I believe at BC uh, Jared Allen Ben Knopp Sean Norrie just uh, Craig Weller uh, Blake Robson Mickey DuPont all Calgarians drafted in Calgary at the Scotiabank Saddle Dome and mm -hmm. yeah there was also a pretty resounding Wah, wah, sad saxophone uh, from the Calgary Hitmen going to the Calgary Flames at ninth overall. Although it's made for some good storytelling on AM radio. It has absolutely. I've, I've quite enjoyed going back. And, you know, I've, I've always kind of found myself a little bit of a draft nerd. And it's more being a draft nerd, not about going into the draft. Because, you know, I, I've never found myself the uh, – or I've never uh, fancied myself the, the junior hockey or college hockey expert. I've always relied on people like Lou and people like Cosentino. And, but I, I've just really enjoyed going back. And I've, I've always been the nerd on draft day and, and remembering how things went in draft day trade. So I've, I've really enjoyed reading revisiting some of these because i started listening to drafts on saturday mornings on 66 cfr with peter marr doing them on location and that's how i first got into the draft and then on television and and then having the opportunity to go to the last however many in a row it's, it's been really cool so I, I love the draft it's one of my favorite times of year so revisiting these has been a lot of fun and number nine the calgary hitman that went to the calgary flame our very own brent cron that was uh, where i was leading <laughs> But if you think Kron was disappointing at nine, the pick at number one, while he did have a better career than Brent Kron, he might be the worst investment of dollars into a hockey player in the history of hockey. It was a crazy story at the top. Mike Milbury and the New York Islanders had the first overall pick and a young prospect netminder who, well, will be on his way to the Hall of Fame very shortly, Pat. Roberto Luongo was an Islander, but rather than keep the future Hall of Famer, he was traded, and Rick DiPietro, the American netminder, went first overall at the Saddledome. 
Yeah, and uh, it remains one of the uh, worst of Mike Milbury's blunders. All of that that went into that trade, like the trade itself, which included Ole Jokinen as well for, I believe, Oleg Kavasha and Mark Parrish. So not only did he get fleeced in the trade that that sent Luongo to Florida he gave up Jokinen as well and Jokinen turned out to be not a Hall of Famer but you know what he turned out to be a pretty good Florida Panther right like he had he had a couple of 90 point seasons as a member of the Panthers and that was the peak of his career but you give up Jokinen and Luongo for a couple of guys who I think combined played uh Parrish never really turned into what people hoped he did and the same thing with Kavashas so it was a bad trade and then he made that bad trade so he could go and draft Di Pietro number one overall he was just in love with this guy's puck handling this was the the greatest puck handling goaltender in NHL history the problem is could he stop pucks on a regular basis and it turned out to be just an aw- like Di Pietro going number one overall yeah that was bad when you take into account all of that went into the Islanders doing that absolutely terrible and then it gets worse. Milbury's gone. Garth Snow turns into the GM on the island. And he decides that, okay, here's my chance to lock up a goalie long-term. A record-setting 15-year contract with DiPietro to the tune of $67.5 million. They clearly have bought that out. DiPietro will make a million and a half dollars through the 2028-2029 season as part of that buyout. Rick DiPietro is connected to some of the worst hockey decisions ever made, not only in Islanders history, but perhaps draft, GMing, and organizational decision-making history. Nope. Um, There's no doubt about it. And uh, it's, look, it's been one of the... uh, it's it's been one of the most talked about and and maybe milestone contracts for a long time and uh, they're still paying him for quite a long time too i believe that uh, i'll quickly go 28 29 yeah I just so mentioned they, they, that they've got yes. million yeah. and a half so, a year um, <laughs> it's no good it's no good no good at all okay reason, so pick number 2 the reason why which i couldn't probably... hear that is because you you cut out in the middle of it. That's why. Uh, that that's out? why that's I sounded like I was. So they're paying Apologies. him, but I'm curious as to why Cap Friendly says that they're not. It's not coming up on their uh, cap hit per year. Would have year. been an amnesty buyout. Would be that's my was, guess. That was my thought, but I wasn't sure. So either way, uh, he's yeah, he was one of the am- coming out of the lockout. They did a bunch of amnesty buyouts, which yeah. wouldn't affect your cap, and he was one of them. Hmm. Number two was the local boy, Danny Heatley, who torched uh, NCAA hockey in a couple of years at Wisconsin. Uh, he had an incredibly roller coaster career on and off the ice pat, uh, including finishing one year over in Europe, multiple 50 goal seasons. Uh, he had a very, I guess, public asking out of Ottawa after we know what happened to Dan Snyder in Atlanta, uh, him passing away with in Danny Heatley's vehicle. Uh, and then went on to, you know, I think sort of flicker down the stretch, but flashed some of the highest goal scoring talent we've seen around the league. There's not a lot of guys that can say I've scored 50 goals multiple times in my career, but Heatley's won. The local boy went number two. Yeah. And you know what? If you go and revisit this draft and, and try to redraft it, 
he probably still goes in and around there. Like I have him going, I, I, I redrafted the top five, and he's still a top five pick for me. Uh, is he number two? No, but he only drops to number three uh, because mm-hmm. the guy that came right after him, I just have Gabrick and Heatley swapped. Gabrick went number three to the Minnesota Wild. Like it was not a great draft for, for high-end players, and, and I know that, a lot of times you think about Heatley and the latter stages of his career and his time late in San Jose and then into his time in Minnesota where the points weren't coming and, and the speed of the game kind of passed him by. But there were some legit elite seasons in there for Danny Heatley. And I still think if you go back and you take a look at the overall uh, the overall draft from the year 2000, he's still got to be one of the guys that goes in the top five. An Olympic yeah. gold medalist to boot, too. There you go. That's right. Gabrick sure would post is. multiple 42 goal seasons, but would never get to the 50 threshold. I believe seven 30 goal seasons. Uh, 30 plus is the tally for Gabrick, who, um, not unlike Heatley, just wasn't able to score anywhere near the rate we'd become accustomed to in the latter portions of his career. Gabrick would put together 19 seasons, amassing over 1,000 games played. One of seven players in the draft, Patty, that eclipsed 1,000 games. Nobody got to 1,000 points. Nobody got to uh, 500 goals. The other 1,000-game players still playing. Justin Williams, uh, Henrik Lundqvist didn't get to 1,000. He's still active. Ron Hainsey hit 1,000. Scott Hartnell, Nick Schultz, Antoine Vermette, Gabrick, and Brooks Orpik all get to 1,000 games played, and that's probably a big portion of the list of you had to redraft the, redraft the top 10 who might be in there. And the question is, if you were to redraft right now, who would go number one overall? It's clear for me, and it's funny because you and, and I are, are so on the same page about, and I don't know if you're on this in the same um, on the same page as well, Logo, but Pinder and I are on the same page of not going with goaltenders in the first round. But if you knew everything that was going to happen, and if you knew everything that was going to transpire, well, then I think you would have had to go with Henrik Lundqvist as the number one overall pick. He's the clear, no questions asked, best player from the 2000 NHL draft, and he didn't go until 205th overall in the seventh round. For me, Henrik Lundqvist would have gone number one uh, had you known what was going to happen. Yeah, no, and, and the redraft exercise is, is kind of a silly one because you never step up knowing what's going to happen. And huge amounts of risk that you inherit at the draft happen uh, as a result of picking goalies that take so much more time to mature. And I think him going where he goes tells you a lot about how hard it is to project goalies. If anyone had a clue, Henrik Lundqvist would be nearly as good as he's been. He doesn't slide into the 200s, 205. He doesn't go... That at that point, if anyone thinks he's actually got a shot to be a Hall of Fame netminder, which I think he's on track to be, um, yeah, it's it's weird. It kind of makes the case the opposite way that um, you know, if anyone had a clue, even how close he was to being yeah. a regular NHL or never mind a Hall of Famer, he doesn't get taken that late. But that's the nature of picking seventeen-year-old goalies and trying to predict what they're going to be is, you know, yeah. men in their mid twenties to mid thirties. I'm curious. Uh, if you by guys... the way, oh. sorry, go ahead. I'm curious if you guys knew this or not, or you picked up on it, but Lundquist actually drafted miles uh, below his twin brother, Joel Mm. Lundquist, who was picked 68th by Dallas. He did play 134 NHL games. Henrik has more points than uh, brother Joel, who played center. 
Uh, Joel put up 26 points in 134 NHL games. Lundquist throughout his career has amassed 27 assists. That is yeah. Well, who's got a better points per game though, Logan? Like yeah, you got to you got to add some context yeah. to that. Talk to goals, that huh? yeah. Yeah. goals. Yeah, stupid Henry. Why don't you score a goal, loser? Uh, crazy. Other notes. I believe Rene Bork was draft eligible this year. Did not go. He's the only big name in terms of a birth date that could have been selected and wasn't. Uh, that I could find. And uh, it's just a lot of really not good players once you get past the top six, all of whom went double-digit seasons in their NHL careers. But there's a lot of swings and misses uh, very high in round one once you get past the top six. Lars Janssen went to Boston at seven, eight games in the league. Nikita Alexiev went eight just three seasons in the league, one game for Kron in his entire history as we've uh, poked fun Ooh. with him uh, numerous times. He goes nine to Calgary. Mikhail Yakubov goes 10 to Chicago, just 53 games in the league. Uh, the only really good players left in the first round. Justin Williams at 28, who was still playing with the Hurricanes when the season got paused. Brooks Orpik, who retired, I believe, a season ago, or at least didn't play this year. And Ron Hainsey, who is playing with, what, Ottawa this year? He's still active yep. as well. Yeah, Nicholas Cronwall, pretty good first-round pick for the Red Wings. Team. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. he, uh, in fact, I have him going in my top five from that draft. Uh, if I were to redraft really? it, I would have gone Lundquist one, Gabrick two, Heatley three, Williams four, Cronwall five. I think that Cronwall is the best defenseman to come out of the class. Um, I know that, again, near the end, Cronwall not as fleet of foot and was a guy that you know, was a little bit, um, a little bit of a liability contract-wise for the Red Wings. But the peak of his career, he was out there with Lidstrom a ton, and those guys put together a pretty darn good pairing. And Cronwall was for, I want to say, half a decade was kind of the the premier shutdown defenseman in the NHL. Pretty good player in his heyday, and and that's why I think Cronwall from this draft would have still been a top five guy. And interesting enough, me and Pat talked about this a bit before the show today when we were talking about this, Rye. Yeah, uh, if you ever wondered sometimes why there might have been a Russian bias earlier on in the early 2000s, this draft could be a, a format for a couple of GMs to look at some picks out of Russia and say that they really didn't work out well for them, especially in the top 20 mm-hmm. before you reach Alexander Frolov, who went to the Kings and had a pretty decent career, all things considered, almost 400 points in 579 NHL games, and Anton Volchenkov as well the next pick after him, but a number of Russians early on, especially that went on to be just complete busts for their team. Yeah, wanna, no, it's true. There's, there's five at... picks there between 10 and 17 of Russians that you know, there was high hopes hung on and nobody got more than two seasons in the league. That's, that's pretty gross. You want to take a look at how bad things have been uh, like, and we'll get to the flames in just a second, but the Edmonton Oilers have had the absolute worst first round pick run um over the last 20 years yes i know mcdavid and hall and eberly and Clefbaum. in in more recent years they've had better luck in the first round there's also a yakupov thrown in there but they've had more success recently but you go back over the last 20 years we started in 1998 and that year they uh, drafted Michael Henrik in the first round, zero NHL games. The next year, Yanni Rita, 13th overall, 66 NHL games. Uh, 2000, Alexei Mikanov in the first round, 17th overall, two NHL games. And, and it just keeps on getting worse. Uh, like, you go and you take a look at these first-round picks. They had, like, 
Marc-Antoine Pouliot, Yessi Ninamaki, um, Devin Dubnik never hit with them. Um, Magnus PRV. Like it just it, it was, and you go back the other way, and it's Steve Kelly, 149 NHL games. Jason Bonsignor, 79 NHL games. There's also a Michael uh, Ryan Smith in there, which helped. But like the the run of first round picks for the Edmonton Oilers in the late 90s and early 2000s was just horrid. And the funny thing is, is that it's going to sound like Calgary is piling on Edmonton, but the Flames weren't really that much better at all because at the same time you had the Rico no, Fadden. No, we're about to get into them. The, yeah, and the and the Daniel Kachucks. I mean, there was – Kron plays one game. They take him in the top ten here. The province as a whole really struggled with high first-round picks, and we're not talking about trying to find a guy in the 20s. Like, we're talking – like, Jason Bonsignor was four overall. That They picked – two players back to back at six. Like there's, there's all kinds of high picks here um, that neither the flames nor the Oilers really could do as much as you'd hope they would have done with um, as much as you would hope they could have got done. Or even drafting NHLers and never letting them get to their organization. Sure. A few of those too. Yeah. Uh, here's your, if you had to build a team from the 2000 draft boys, you're starting uh, goaltending tandem would be Lundquist backed up by Brizgalov. You feel free to debate me yep. on that. There's not nope. much closer. You know, DiPietro, I'm not going to take because of the health issues. Chechmanic took forever to come over and the career wasn't that long. There really isn't a ton of options beyond that. Dan Ellis, millions of dollars isn't enough. If you remember that on Twitter, kind of roasted his career. Your blue line would look like this. Visnovsky, Cronwall, Martin, Hainsey, John Michael Lyles, maybe a Brooks or pick for a little sandpaper in there. So no stars. Uh, Viznovsky, your most talented point collector. And up front, you're going to run with Gabrick, Heatley, Williams. And then you've got some pretty gritty forwards in Hartnell. Uh, Rafi Torres is in this draft as well. Vermette can be in there. Stoll. Uh, there's, uh, it's, not, it's a very blue-collar draft class to, uh, outside of the, well, really Lundquist. You know, for that era of the Calgary Flames, it was probably their best NHL draft in terms of the players they selected. It just so happens that barely any of the good players they selected or none of the the players that ended up having long NHL careers played a single game with the Calgary Flames. So we already talked about Kron. He played his only NHL game with the Dallas Stars, his only NHL period with the Dallas Stars. Uh, But they picked defenseman Curtis Foster, second round. Uh, He ended up playing more than 400 NHL games never once with the calgary flames Jarrett stoll was taken six picks later in the second round he played almost 900 nhl games not one with the flames he could never he would never sign with the flames and two years later would be taken by the edmonton oilers uh and travis moen went in the fifth round for the flames played almost 800 nhl games and again none of them as a member of the flames so foster stoll and moen all had pretty successful careers from a games played standpoint but at no point did they suit up for calgary so it's a good draft but the issue being the gm at the time or the gms in that window didn't get pen to paper with enough guys and i believe that would fall in the craig button era from 2000 to 03 because if you're drafted in 2000 as a junior you're likely got two years to sign that uh, contract um so give Button credit for finding these guys, but take some away if unable to get them signed. Yeah, no doubt about it. 
I got some more uh, interesting facts about the draft class as a whole, if you'd like, gentlemen. Uh, 40% of those drafted, 40.3% went on to play a game in the NHL. Your average number of games played by this draft class is 287. Uh, Average career goals, just 36. And your average NHL career points out of this draft class, 97. Not a great one. I'm waiting for our first good drafts class, Patty. We had some stories there. It was in Calgary, lots of Calgary boys. But um, when are we going to get to a bumper crop here? What's 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 around the corner here? Well, 2003 is the greatest draft in NHL history, so that'll be coming your way soon. Um, and you know what? There was uh, there, there's some there's some better drafts in the next little bit, but uh, there's no doubt that uh, the 2003 NHL draft is the one that you know we're going to have a lot of fun redrafting because it's the best of all time. Yeah, well, that'll be fun. And uh, but even but even better next than... week, I mean, 2001, some pretty solid players who ended up going in that draft. Um, you know, a lot of guys that uh, is there a surefire Hall of Famer in there? I don't know. But there were some decent players that went in 2001. Much deeper 2002 draft too. Much deeper, absolutely. 2002, not as good. 2002 was a real miss of a draft, but 2003 was epic. I believe it was 07. Um, no, 08 was a really good draft. That'll be a lot of fun. That was Drew Doughty, Eric Carlson, Alex Petrangelo uh, all went in, in that draft. Um, so there's there's some good ones coming up, certainly. Stamkos went in 2008 as well. So there's some, uh, there's some good ones coming up, and 2003 is going to be the one that I think we have the most fun with. I'll say this one threshold that means a lot more to me now than maybe it had um, before we did this exercise. We've done three draft class, 98, 99, and 2000. Uh, a thousand games is interesting because it's not positionally discriminatory. Like you, it's, you know, only if you're a goalie is a thousand games way harder than other positions, but a thousand points. We haven't had a single player uh, outside of the city over the three draft classes. If you get to a thousand points, you're a Hall of Famer. I, I, I sort of have to believe at this juncture. Yep. Two yep, guys. I three agree. Years. It's uh, not a lot. As for a ten, a thousand games played, the draft class in '98, twelve thousand game players, ninety-nine, four, and seven in two thousand, which we rattled through. Uh, we're also we still got some active players. It's we're going to see more and more active players as we move forward. But uh, Justin Williams, Ron Hainsey, collecting checks this year. Not to mention Henrik Lundqvist. So uh, that's uh, that's saying something. When you were drafted in 2000 and in 2020, you're still collecting checks in the NHL. Mm-hmm. I like it. So 2001 is next. There is your 2000 NHL redraft. We're doing them on a fairly regular basis in the midst of a pandemic here on Pinder and Steinberg. And uh, up next, we're going to catch up with a gentleman we have not caught up with as of yet. The television play-by-play voice of the Calgary Flames is Rick Ball. we got to catch up with Kelly Rudy at some point next week as well. But uh, Rick Ball is going to join us around the corner as we are well underway on a Friday edition of Pinder and Steinberg, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. This is the latest from the 660 News Traffic Center. To the crush of the rush, we've got a not-so-slow go on Crow, and it's not a no on Bow, nor an epic fail on Deerfoot Trail. 
strange times for sure. Sportsnet 960, the fan is here for you. No sports, no problem. Pinder and Steinberg continues right now on Sportsnet 960, the fan. I don't want to disagree with the voice guy a bit. I mean, no problem. I mean, we've survived, but uh, we're only in day 37 of the sports apocalypse. I'm afraid to think of what day 90 would look like. We may have to mix in more visits. You're telling me that radio is going to be hard, like it's going to be difficult to do this show when we get to July. I don't know what you're talking about. I think it'll be easy. I I hope you're vacationing or we have playoff hockey or both. Our next guest is Rick Ball. He is the man you hear calling the hockey games on Sportsnet, uh, the play-by-play voice of the Flames on TV. Mr. Ball, how are you? What are you doing? Are you surviving? Are you okay? I'm surviving. I'm uh, buried under a couple of pallets full of toilet paper and Purell. Just, uh, you know, I'm ready. I've, I've loaded up my apocalypse <laughs> bunker, and uh, I'm going to ride this baby out. As long as you don't resell that, that's a savvy move. <laughs> the moment you go to Kijiji, right. you will be hung in prison. So, so... <laughs> That's funny you say that. So when the toilet paper thing started happening, right, um, my wife got a little panicky about that whole situation and actually ordered <laughs> toilet paper online. It showed up a week ago. So that's been, what, what five weeks? <laughs> what showed up was six rolls of toilet paper about the size, each of them about the size of a roll of scotch tape. I'm not kidding. No. No. I howled. I thought, well, this will last about uh, half a day. <laughs> so, but, yeah. So anyway, we're all good. So I'm, been doing... I, everybody's healthy and happy and, uh, you know, as happy as you can be considering the circumstances. So uh, I'm not complaining. So you went 30 some days before the order arrived, something like that. Like who was doing the laundry? What, uh, you're staying away from the whites? What's the story? Rick? No, no, we, uh, we, we managed to get toilet paper. It wasn't an issue, but at the time, I don't know why everybody, what was the toilet paper fascination for people? I, I never got I don't that. Know. So it, was bizarre. it never turned into an issue, but out of, out of a sense of, uh, precaution, <laughs> that's what happened. And when it finally got here, there were literally like the whole thing combined had about six plies total, six six squares. I mean, <laughs> I don't even want to ask how much it cost. So uh, that's that's outstanding. Uh, paint us a picture. What uh, what does the ball household look like? You're not alone. You have children. You have a significant other, and you all have to coexist with, uh, you know, not as much travel as as Mr. Ball I imagine is used to. Yeah, there's a lot of. Uh watching Netflix. I've gotten to most of the projects inside the house I've had to do. My beard is glorious at this point. Oh, amazing. Um, yes. Look like a, I'm either Ryan O'Reilly uh, playoffs or, okay. or um, a, a roadie for Leonard Skinnerd. But, uh, <laughs> Either way, it's coming along nicely. My hair looks like a young Michael Landon. And um, all my reference. references will be from the 70s, by the way. So anybody under the age of 50 will have no idea what I'm talking about here. Um, yeah, everything's okay. I mean, it, it, and the snow is finally melting to the point where this week I may actually be able to get out and do some yard work. So, um, you know, we're muddling along, but it is weird. I mean, in a bigger sense, and this is something I've always said, and this is only proving my point, uh, people need something to do. You know, this notion of, you know, what would be perfect, win the lottery and never have to work again. I don't know, man. Nope. 
That doesn't strike me as being that. Uh, I mean, it'd be nice to have the money from the lottery, but uh, you still got to have something to do. I think about athletes. Yeah. Think about guys who play in the NHL, right? Um, you know, what's the average salary now in the NHL annually? Up to three million bucks. So if you have a pretty good career and are to complete moron with your money, uh, you should be set for life financially. But those guys retire at 35, 33. They've got a whole life ahead of them. You can't just sit around and, and, and stare out the window and watch Netflix. Um, you know, you, pe- people, uh, work can be rewarding. And, um, and, and just sitting around and, you know, every day runs into the next. The thing I'm finding, especially as the days get longer now, is, you know, I'll be puttering around the house doing some things, and then I'll think to myself, is it 11 a.m. or 6 o'clock in the evening? They just go away. I know you guys are working, so it's not the same for you. But, um, yeah, it's been it's been an interesting few weeks for sure. And hopefully, you know, and I know health and, and people's lives are the biggest concern right now, but hopefully um, they've been able to tamp this thing down with these measures and we can get back to some level of normalcy before too long because uh, I'm going a bit stir-crazy, to be quite honest. This Michael Landon has got some hair. Like, whoa, this is uh, – <laughs> holy – it's like a lion's yeah. mane, Rick. That, if that's yeah, you right that, now, like, we need a picture of you. We need a beard update. We need a picture. Where Do you have any social media? I don't think you're a social media I person. I don't, but, but I'm going to take a picture right now. I'll, I'll, I'll text it to you, okay? Okay. And am I okay to place that on the internet, or can, do we just you get to do whatever, it You can do whatever you please here. here so, uh, okay, very good. So we'll do that at the end. Okay. Uh, Rick Ball is joining media, us. Is <laughs> um, he, of course, the play-by-play uh, broadcaster for the Flames on Sportsnet. Uh, okay, so what have been the hits and what have been the misses in terms of uh, the pandemic time killers? I have gone back to rewatching Star Wars with my boys who love Chewbacca and are fascinated by lightsabers. Uh, we've all, I think, dabbled in uh, the Tiger King. Ozark is now front and center for the better half and I. What, what, how would you characterize the, the winners and losers at the ball house? Well, I was an early adopter on Tiger King. I mean, I, I watched right. that thing. Like, it, honestly, I saw it pop up on Netflix, and I thought, this is the last thing I'd ever want to watch. I'm not a fan <laughs> of reality TV. I'm not a big fan of people who are complete train wrecks. I don't need to see that stuff. And, oh, whatever, I'm bored. I'll watch it. I watched that first episode. I could not stop. It, that is such an unbelievable documentary series. The amount of footage they had access to over the course of years. And then the subplots, like, just when you thought it couldn't get any crazier, you get onto the next episode and it's even more bizarre. I, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, you know, just Joe Exotic himself and, and his crazy narcissistic personality would be enough for a documentary, let alone the nine other characters in that series that were almost as, as wacky. It, uh, it blew me away, quite frankly. It was extremely well done. Those people are messed up, but very interesting. And the story continues, I guess, They've reopened the murder case. Um, the uh, um, Carol Baskins now, that, that, and her her deceased husband, or missing husband, I guess they ever knew for sure if he was dead or not. It seems pretty clear. Uh, so it's that thing was fascinating. I uh, every person I talked to for the next week after watching it, I I didn't just encourage them to. I pleaded with them to watch it. I was offended if they didn't. Um, so it was that that for me was something else. I. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like that in terms of a, of a documentary series. What else have I been watching? I've been, well, better call Saul, but I, I'm actually yeah, baby. In, 
into the latest episode, our latest season, which I'm at, <laughs> I have to old school it. You got to wait for a week to get the new episode because it's just coming out now. So, um, but that is a great show. I, you know, I love Breaking Bad, one of the great all-time television series. This one, it, this, and, and I thought this will be hard to duplicate in terms of quality. I think this one's as good, maybe even better. It's not as it's not as fast paced. It's definitely a slow burn, but extremely well executed so uh i'm loving that if you haven't seen it i think it is available on netflix or amazon i'm not sure the the older seasons are uh highly recommended and i wish i wouldn't have done this last summer but i did because i would like to be doing it right now but i went through all five seasons of the wire uh during the Mm -hmm. last off season as uh and that that's a terrific show as well so um yeah and then I, i watched the odd movie i watched that new one with um with Ben Affleck as a basketball coach, The Way Back, I think it's called. Yeah. It's on, uh, I had to buy it on iTunes. It was good. Um, so, yeah, I'm keeping myself busy, as busy as you can. I mean, how? It's, I remember Jerry Seinfeld doing a routine uh, a few years ago, and the, the whole bit was, how much entertainment do we need? You know, he's talking about, like, it's crazy. And I'm thinking, yeah, at the time I thought that was a good point. But uh, at this point in history with everybody staying at home, it's nice to have it. It's crazy. Like I, I we've got uh, Apple TV in the basement, and my wife's got a Prime subscription. Uh, Apple TV is there. Netflix, Disney Plus. You know, on and on and on it goes. Uh, yeah, there's like so much content out there. Not as uh, much Carol Baskin content though as we had <laughs> prior to the Tiger King. Uh, it's Rick Ball with us on Pinder and Steinberg Sports at 960 The Fan. Rick, you and I have got like the the same TV tastes uh, because I uh, w- I w- rewatched all five seasons of The Wire mo- like about a year and a half ago, and uh, yeah, I am hooked on Better Call Saul. Like Monday is the best day because you get a new episode, and I'm with you. I think it's better than Breaking Bad. I think like they they learned a ton of lessons from Breaking Bad, which was already an unreal show, and then they just got better in crafting television shows uh, on Better Call Saul. Like it is unbelievable how they set the scene for Breaking Bad and the whole way that they show you how uh, Jimmy becomes Saul and turns into this evil mastermind. Like, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's really well done. And and uh, Bob Odenkirk is a, is a really good actor. I mean, you think about um, he was a comedic guy for, you know, him and, uh, and David Cross and, you know, Mr. Show and all that stuff to yeah. think he's been able to transition into such a just a really gifted actor is is quite a story you know i my favorite bob odenkirk story actually involves calgary he uh and i only read it but um but he was in i think the first season of fargo the series which they've shot in and around calgary um for the first three years anyway and he, he played a played a police officer it wasn't a huge part but he was a regular that full season and they were shooting somewhere one of the small communities outside Calgary and one of the local TV news teams had gone to the town they were shooting in to ask people what they thought about this big uh, American TV series shooting in their town. <laughs> they walked up to Bob Odenkirk and asked him how he felt about this big TV series shooting in his town. And uh, he said, oh, I'm actually working on the show. And <laughs> they said, oh, what do you do? Oh, I'm an actor. He couldn't have been more polite. I remember seeing the clip online. I thought it was hilarious. So uh, he was just the sweetest guy. He never never got offended. He wasn't. He just was like, oh, yeah, I'm an actor. So quite funny. But he is terrific as Saul Goodman. 
uh, Jimmy McGill. That's how he starts before he transitions into the, the sleazebag that he winds up becoming. Uh, that character development in that series is so good. If yeah. people have, if, like, like I said, if, if you loved Breaking Bad, don't expect it to have that kind of forward momentum. It's just not as fast-paced. It's a real slow burn, but unbelievably well-written and, um, and, and worth the investment once you start watching. And I'm correct when I say Michael Landon, Little House on the Prairie, right? That era, yeah, Little House yeah. on the Prairie is Pa Ingalls. Um, that's my uh, that's my hair right about now. Yeah, I, I, that that is something that I need to see. Um, okay, <laughs> what what's your uh, what's your optimism level that you'll call another game in the 1920 season? Well, whether or not I call another game, I have no idea. But if the question is, do you think they'll play? I think they will. I mean, unless they're told that they absolutely can't by health officials and uh, politicians, uh, I think they're going to do it. I mean, just, there's just too much money still out there on the table that they're going to leave if they don't get it done. I'm, I think if there's a way to get it done, my expectation would be there'd be no fans. Um, you know, lots of rumors that they're going to do it in one centralized location, uh, which is the best way to sort of quarantine everybody. Um, but I, if there's a way to get it done, they'll do it. It just, you know, and, and both parties, and I'm talking players and owners, want to see it. I mean, they, they share the revenue, right? So, um, you know, all that money that, that that winds up getting flushed down the toilet if they don't finish the season or whatever percentage of it uh, that they might get back by having a playoffs, um, half of that goes to the players. And, you know, it could affect the salary cap for next – well, it's going to regardless, but it will be even worse for next season if uh, if it doesn't happen. So I, I think, you know, put all the th- those things together, if I was a betting man, I, I'd say they, they, they will resume at some point. But – like everybody else, nobody really knows. I mean, this thing is is as open-ended as it can be because we don't know how this virus is, what the arc is going to be and how long mm-hmm. it's going to take. And there's so many things out of the control of anybody's hands, that, including Gary Bettman's, um, that, uh, you know, that I don't know. But all I do know is that if there's a way to get it done, they'll do it. I, I, I'll be shocked if they are able to at least have some form of playoffs that they don't proceed um, just because there's there's so much money out there that they won't get if they if they don't finish. Have you? Uh, it's, it's funny because I've been thinking about it a lot. Just in in terms of okay, well, if they do come back, what's it going to look like? And and it probably will look like something where you know you might have to be playing in a few centralized locations and and mostly neutral sites. Have you ever uh, have you ever called big big games or or done situations like that where you're doing like two or three games a day and having to do different teams because that might be what we're talking about when it's all said and done. Yeah, I, I have, and I've never done a world championship or a world juniors or, you know, Olympics where you're calling multiple games. So, um, you know, it, it'd be interesting. I always, you know, I, I credit those guys who do it. Like when I hear Jim Houston and Sochi or, you know, call, calling games and, you know, it's okay when it's, Canada, U.S., and the, the, all the players are NHL guys. But when you've got a couple of European teams that, you know, combined maybe have three NHLers and then a bunch of names you're not, <laughs> that are hard to pronounce for somebody who speaks English, and, you know, you're stacking those games up on top of each other in the course of a day, that is a really, really hard task. And uh, the fact that, that uh, somebody like him or other guys who've done it before can pull it off is a minor miracle. So um, I don't envy anybody who has to do that. It would be easier to do if it's NHL teams because you know those teams anyway. Um, it's not perfect um, because, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into prepping for a game. And, 
you know, if you're going to prep for not just more than one game, but more than two teams, uh, if you're doing two games in a day, um, you know, it, it's, there's some heavy lifting there for sure, but it definitely wouldn't be as difficult to do it if, if it's all NHL games uh, than it would be doing an international tournament where half the guys are more two countries that don't have a lot of national hockey league players yeah. uh, you haven't heard of before. So those ones are tricky for sure. Um, you know, it's not ideal, but uh, nothing's ideal about the circumstances that we're under right now. Yeah, that's just it. Like, I think that everybody's going to have to, if if they are going to come back, then we all have to kind of realize that it's not necessarily, to begin with, going to be what we're used to, right? It's going to be something a little bit different, and we're going to all have to accept a couple of sacrifices if we're going to want to see NHL hockey again. Well, my biggest concern, guys, is, um, okay, I think it's unlikely if they do come back that they're going to play through to 82 games because that's going to take an extra what, two weeks to finish the regular season, then the playoffs on top of that. So, but do you want to just, you know, lots of, lots of rumors and speculation out there about what they might do. Maybe they go to 24 teams and they get in on, you know, the, the eight teams below the top 16, all based on winning percentage would have a three best of three play in or whatever. That's all sounds cool. And it could be very entertaining, but do you want to just jump right back into playoff hockey without playing any games prior to that? Mm-hmm. Like, even if they have a long training camp for every team, that is a really, really dangerous situation in terms of injuries. The other thing that would happen is, let's say, let's say they have a two-week training camp, then teams 17 through 24 do best of three play-ins. I think those teams will be ahead of the ones that have to sit around and wait because they'll have played some hockey, so let, you know you whittle that down. Or you whittle down to, to 16 teams um, from 24, and the eight teams or the four teams that get out of the out of the the bottom eight that had the play-ins, I think, would have an advantage early in the playoff rounds when they get to the to the 16. So um, you know, there's a lot of things they have to think about here. And to me, the biggest issue uh, from a player's perspective, but even from the the franchises is you don't want anybody to get hurt and to go from not playing for two or three months to jumping right into playoff hockey and the intensity that comes with it, I think would be a real risky move. So I'm curious to see, assuming they wind up doing something, how they get these guys back up to game speed to the point where they can play playoff hockey and not put themselves in any undue risk. What's the, uh, what's the closest you've ever been to calling a game with zero fans in a building? Florida? Very interesting. I don't think I ever have. I've done some junior hockey preseason games, but even they had fans in the building. I don't think I've ever called a game with no fans in the building. Um, so, yeah, that would be interesting. I, the, the, the thing with me that'll be tricky as a play-by-play guy, if it winds up going that way, is part of the energy that comes from your call is, is talking over the crowd noise, right? So, you know, in a building that's dead quiet except for the actual noise of the players on the ice, how do you approach that? I, you know, like like you're going to amp up your energy. It's exciting. There's a great play made, but if there, it's it's done to to absolute quiet, um, it's a tricky dynamic. So I think that'd be very curious to to try and and find the the, the sweet spot in terms of your energy on the air um, when their energy in the building is yeah. pretty much zero. So. That'll, that'll be an interesting challenge for, for guys calling games, for sure. 
We've uh, we've talked to a number of members of the Flames coaching staff, management, players uh, throughout this whole thing, and everybody seems to be of the same consensus that they, they really like the way things are trending for the group before this shutdown all happened. Where were you on, on the way the Flames were playing before things got to where we are now? Yeah, it's it's been so long. It's hard to remember almost, I but know. it did seem like, like, they're, like they were – starting to come together but i honestly guys i just as a whole and even though you know a playoff spot wasn't even guaranteed yet for the calgary flames at this point i like the way they're constructed for the playoffs better this year than last year they had they were a way better team in the regular season last year but hindsight being 2020 we saw what happened once they got past that and into the postseason and on paper anyway and certainly the way they're structured I I think they're better built for the playoffs this year you know things get a bit greasier you get away with a little bit more they've definitely got more grit in their lineup this year and um, you know whether or not we get to see if my theory is true uh, or false um, hopefully we will but uh but I, I, I think this team, as it's constructed now, has the potential to be more effective postseason than last year's team, which was just terrific for 82 games, and then uh, not so much so when they met Colorado in round one. With Rick Ball, he is the television play-by-play voice of the Calgary Flames with us on Pinder and Steinberg this afternoon. And Rick, like, just to follow up on that same sort of thought, the, this felt like an audit on the core this year with this group and that no matter, you know, all that adversity they faced, they were, this was a group that was going to be measured on what happened in the postseason, and, and that's not unique necessarily to just the Calgary Flames. This would have been the second chance for Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl to play playoff hockey. Yep. This could have been the first year for that young core in Vancouver to carry their group into the postseason. It's just so much of how we feel about a team or judge a team is based upon what's happening right now in mid-April and beyond. And it just, it's been taken away from us at least temporarily and maybe for good. We don't know for the 2020 season, but uh, I, I just feel like there's so many questions that are left unanswered here. That That's a really good point. And let's, okay, let's assume they don't finish the season. Now we go into next year. What do you, how do you judge your team? And not just Calgary. You're right. You mentioned other examples too. Like, what do you do? They didn't have a chance to prove themselves in the playoffs. So um, do they get another year? If, you know, like let, let's say the Flames had gotten into the playoffs and went on a long run deep into the postseason, you're really happy with what you've got. Or let's say it, it ended early or they didn't get in at all. You know, either one of those uh, results would have dictated to Brad Tree Living what he needs to do moving forward. But, you know, with no measuring stick, what's your analysis of this team? It's, it's impossible. Yeah. Um, or not impossible because you do have you know seventy one games or whatever they played of uh, of regular season hockey, but you're right the 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 proof would be in the postseason this year in terms of how this team is constructed and and the fact that they may not have a chance to to test the team at the toughest time of the year uh, will make it a real challenging job in the off season for sure uh, and even if they do wind up having a playoffs, it's not going to be what we normally have in the postseason. So it's going to be some kind of tricked-up version that won't exactly represent what would normally happen in a regular year. So, yeah, it's, you know, not, it's not only what's happening this season and, and whether or not they hand up the Stanley Cup, but it will impact how teams evaluate, or even if they can fully, going forward and what they might do for next season. Been great catching up with you. Uh, I feel like we we don't do this enough. It's always great fun. Uh, we've posted your picture online on uh, <laughs> my Twitter account. We I, I've given the caption 
uh, Rick Ball pandemic live look and then attach the photo. And it's basically a lot of people yelling, I miss Rick Ball in all caps. <laughs> Perfect. A lot of that is you, the human. I'm sure some of that is that when they see and hear you, the flames are playing. But either way, just know that you're missed at this juncture. Well, I appreciate that. And I'm sure there's lots of people screaming for me to get on Twitter anytime somebody posts a picture <laughs> of me. I, but at this point, I'm a conscientious objector and uh, I've dug in my heels. You're a smart man. <laughs> don't, yeah, don't, the change, the don't change. Well, I always say, like, everybody goes, well, you know, like, most people on Twitter are great. And I say, yeah, like, but it's the two out of 100 that that, that are jerks that I don't want to have to enter. Like, if you said, you can invite 50 random people into your home, but three of them are going to be complete and utter animals, I would say, you know what, (laughs) stay home, everybody. And that's Twitter to me, so. You don't need Carol Baskin in your house, right? (laughs) (laughs) Now, Joe Exotic I'd have over. That guy could party. Are you going to compare piercings with Joe, or what would, how would you start off? <laughs> Thank you, Rick. <laughs> All right, boys. Take care. See you, Rick. Rick Ball, Sportsnet. We wish he was on TV, but we're happy to have him on the radio, and we posted the photo. Uh, I love talking about uh, non-sports with Rick as much as I like talking about uh, Calgary Flames with Rick. That was fun. Yeah, and uh, I hope he's right. I'm kind of with him. I still think that they will play, and I still think they'll find a way to play. Um, but I just I hope he's right. I hope I'm right. Um, I'm, I'm well aware that I could be wrong. In fact, I know there's a good chance I'll be wrong. Um, but I, I still think that if you were to ask me uh, what my feel is, yeah, I think they're going to play it in, in some form or another in some locale that probably we're not used to. But I think they will. Uh, others are more skeptical. I know Eric Francis believes there's zero chance it'll happen, and and, and I know there are others who are in that same, in that same category. But I I hope they do. I, I I hope that those people are wrong. I hope that I'm right, even though I I realize that there is a decent chance that I that might not happen. I just. How much longer can we do this show without sports? I don't. That's and that's not a, a, about yourself. But it's selfish. not. It's it's it's. It's not an oh, poor me thing. It's like, a, how much longer can our station survive without sports? That's really what it comes down to for me. I think we've just, you know, 37 days in. I'm just, I think the next 37 will be even better, Pat. There's nothing just, wow, you know. Conti, we're such good broadcasters now that we don't Well, that makes one of us. Yikes. Um, thank you to Rick. Well, we've got Mark Giordano. We'll hear from before 5 o'clock. Uh, big spell with the uh, Calgary captain. Uh, earlier today in Toronto. You're going to want to hear that. We will have in conversation with Ron McClain tonight at 5, followed by Blue Jays pregame. It'll be the Jays and Rangers game 5 of the 2015 ALDS. If you uh, don't mind the spoiler alert from the sports that happened uh, almost five years ago, it's the bat flip game, one of the most iconic moments in Blue Jays history on your radios and, and, and TV tonight. And it gets better, Patty. Tell us more. Yeah, so we've been talking about this watch party. Um, Jose Bautista is going to drop by. Uh, Goins is going to drop by. John Gibbons is going to be there. Harold Reynolds is going to be there. It's Arash, Hazel, and Shy who are hosting it. It was originally just going to be on the Sportsnet YouTube and Facebook pages. Now it's on Sportsnet 1 starting at 7 o'clock Calgary time. So you get to, if, if you can somehow uh, double screen it, you can do the watch party on Sportsnet 1. And I'm pretty sure they'll have it screen on. On screen so you'll be able to watch the game on sportsnet one and see all these people uh kind of chime in throughout i that's almost must see tv tonight i can't wait on sportsnet one at seven o'clock tonight 
Got to clear out some PVR space. Okay, Mark Giordano, captain of the Calgary Flames, coming up next, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Sports Drive at 5, brought to you by Pete the Plumber, the superheroes of plumbing and heating. Call 403-257-1766 or find them at PeteThePlumber.com for all your plumbing and heating needs. All right, Friday afternoon. Hope you got a great weekend planned of, uh, well, staying isolated, I guess, is probably what the best weekend's supposed to look like at this point. Uh, welcome back. It's Pinder and Steinberg, the Sports Drive at 5, kind of. Reminder, we've got uh, Ron McLean in conversation at 5 o'clock, Blue Jays pregame. Rangers-Jays game 5 gets going at 6. And that uh, watch party on the Blue Jays social media streams or Sportsnet 1 should be a whole lot of fun. Jose Bautista dropping by for the bat flip. That uh, That's probably a good get in the middle of a pandemic. Make sure your PVRs Bautista are ready to and, uh, Bautista roll. and John Gibbons. It's pretty solid. And game. Ryan Goins. Ryan oh, Goins will be there. Harold Reynolds, <laughs> oh. who called the game, will be there. It's good. It's a good crew. He did make the, I don't know if you caught it in the replays, the uh, foul ball in Texas caught and talking about, oh, well, that's a nice catch by the fan there. You know, we were just in Toronto and a lot of Canadians don't play catch. I don't think that ball's getting caught in Toronto or something to that effect. Uh, pretty funny little aside there that certainly caught some steam on social media back in 2015. Uh, no doubt he'll be asked about that one tonight on the live stream. Okay, let's get to it. Mark Giordano was on our sister station, Sportsnet 590, the fan in Toronto earlier today. Here's the Flames captain in the pandemic. Well, the thing that's amazing about Gio is he's accomplished so much. He wasn't drafted. He, he accomplished so much, and he's not great at anything. Like, he's only about 200 pounds. Like he's not small, but he's not big. He's not a great skater, but he works so hard. He compensates for that. But his hockey IQ is so high, and he will always do the right thing. If you make a mistake as his partner, he will always be back. He'll cover for you. He can, he can, if there's no play to make, he's a great first passer, but if there's no play, he'll lug the puck out of trouble. But he accomplishes way more than his skill set says he should accomplish because of his work ethic and his hockey IQ. He's an amazing guy and a great captain. It was really a pleasure and an honor to have him in Calgary. Uh, let's bring him aboard. He's uh, Calgary Flames captain Mark Giordano, who joins us on Hockey Central. Uh, you just heard your uh, <laughs> someone who, who ran the Calgary Flames for a number of years just uh, extolling a lot of your virtues there, Mark, and thanks for joining the program. When you hear Berkey talk about you like that, what goes through your mind? And are you blushing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe a little bit. I'd like to think I have a little bit more skill than Berkey thinks, maybe. But uh, <laughs> um, no, I, uh, yeah, no, I, I obviously, uh, you know, uh, have a lot of respect for Berkey. I really enjoyed uh, uh, playing under him there in Calgary. I think, you know, the one thing about uh, that a lot of players, if you come across them and talking about Berkey, the one thing that we all agree on is. There's no, there's no gray area. There's no, there's no BS. It's, he tells you how it is, uh, you know, good or bad. And I think as a player, that's what you appreciate most is when, you know, when people don't blow smoke. And uh, I think he's one of the best, if not the best, in the business at that. We'll turn the recreation over to Berkey then. Go ahead, Brian. Gio, I, I know that uh, we talked about young players here and how some of them just play hockey. You, you were quite a baseball player in your youth. What other sports did you play growing up? Yeah, I was really into baseball. I loved it. Uh, and another another one that uh, I really enjoyed and I thought really helped me with my conditioning and, and with hockey was ball hockey in the summer in uh, Toronto. It's a huge thing. 
um, a lot of our a lot of our buddies uh, growing up enjoyed playing, so we put a team together and played in leagues every summer. I did that almost uh, until I was 30, actually. So I was playing pro, and I was still playing ball hockey in the summers in Toronto. And it was a lot of fun. Um, but no, baseball was definitely a big one. But I was I was involved in like all the school sports. I I really liked sports like basketball, volleyball, um, all the way up. So I tried to tried to to stay in as long as I could. And then, you know, I, I try to teach my son the same thing, become an athlete before, you know, becoming just hockey specific. That's some really good advice there. And, you know, uh, in the era now where kids specialize, like I've got a 210 to 212 and there are already some kids that are, that are starting to specialize in hockey. And I keep saying what to my kids, the same thing that you're talking about right now, Mark. And that is, I remember Matt Nickel talked to me about this years ago. I said, just what you did build the athlete first, whatever sport they're going to end up in, they're going to end up in just make sure that they're athletically inclined when they get there. Absolutely. And I think as a parent, honestly, the hardest thing is, is, uh, you know, you're watching kids who are like Jack seven now and, and uh, you're watching kids who are flying around the ice because they're doing it. They're in all the hockey schools and in all the summer programs. And, uh, you know, as a parent, you got to really take a step back because at, at one point, one side of it is you don't want, want to see your kid fall back and not be able to keep up. But the other side of it is you also don't want them to burn out. And I think uh, my experiences from when I played, I, I, you've seen a lot of stories where kids were the best player up until they were about 12 or 13. And then sort of everyone catches up and, and uh, that could be really hard mentally too for the kids. So I don't know. I, I just think uh, I was never the best player on my teams growing up. Um, and and I think you know a little bit of that adversity might have helped me along the way. And then um, when you do catch up, it it actually feels feels better as you get older to to sort of catch up to everyone and get there. So that's sort of my philosophy. It might be wrong. I know there's a lot of guys obviously who've done it the other way who are great players, but it's just you know you 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 never know which way it's going to go. And I'd rather you know give my kid the opportunity to to choose what he wants and which sport he wants to to play. Stewie, even though we're not in the same studio right now, I can, if I squint really hard and look down the street to where you live, I can, I think I can see you nodding as I hear Mark talking here. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling uh, uh, Vic to cut the clip on this one to put on the Instagram account, but uh, uh, Gio, how's it going, buddy? It's Stewie here. Stewie, how are you, man? Good to see good, you. Good, good. good to talk to you. Yeah, we always, uh, on this program, we always talk about uh, the old money tournaments that we used to play in in, in Brampton and Brampton. how it got a little heated. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. A lot of chirping going back and forth and a lot of almost fights. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so my question is, obviously, you, know, you didn't get drafted to the National Hockey League, but what clicked, uh, you know, for you between each, you know, seven and 17 and 21 before you made the national hockey league was it your training was it your fitness was it uh, a growth spurt what uh, helped you uh, benefit to get to the national hockey league not being a an nhl draft pick yeah i, I think um definitely you know when i went to own sound i was 17 turning 18 i think and then i got a chance after my first year i, I think i was really you know really good offensively and my last uh my last year of tier two where I played in Brampton on the Capitals, and then I went to Owen Sound, and still was had a pretty good offensive year, but I didn't I didn't defend the right way, um, and my conditioning was you know I was I was big and strong, but I had no no idea what it took to 
to get into shape cardio wise and my conditioning was way off and what happened was I, I, uh, I went to Owen Sound where Mike Fuda and, and Mike Feathers was the head coach and Fuchs was the GM and you know uh, I got to give them a lot of credit for my career they taught me what it was to be a pro and how to how to act like a pro on and off the ice and then you know, Mike Southers doesn't get enough credit for how good of a coach he is, but the details with stick and body positioning that he taught me because he was a defenseman when he played were, were unbelievable, and I learned a ton from him. And then I went, I got a chance to go to uh, Phoenix's rookie development camp one summer after my 18-year-old year, and I went there and I got cut right away because, uh, A, it was, I think the lockout was coming up and I wasn't one of their drafted players, but I think more... more more importantly, like I wasn't in good enough shape and, you know, doing all the testing, I, I sort of struggled a little bit through it, struggled on the ice. And I was like, I was like, whoa, like this is an eye opener. I need to change the way, change the way I work out. And I really focused more on cardio and, and, and went from there. And I think that really helped me. And then coming to Calgary with, you know, our strength and conditioning coach back then, Rich, Rich Hesketh and really, he really helped me too. So I think it was more the conditioning and off ice stuff. And then I finally learned how to, to actually defend properly and, and not take those high risks that I might have been taking before. Calgary Flames captain Mark Giordano with us on Hockey Central. Berkey, go ahead. Tell us about your season in Russia, Gio. In 2007, 2008, you went to Russia for a year. Tell us about that. Yeah, so he made the decision to go over there. I, I was a... You know, I was a borderline call-up guy at the time with Calgary, and uh, I was 23, turning 24, I believe. And I'm like, man, I got to almost, you know, I got to take care of myself. I, I got a life to live here, and I got to figure this out which way it's going to go. So I went over there prepared to to stay there, and um, if I had to make a career in Europe, I was going to do it. But yeah, had a had an offer from Moscow Dynamo, took it, went over there, not knowing what to expect, and. Uh, you know the lifestyle was tough. I think I think the language barrier. People don't realize how how tough that is, and uh, you, you gain a lot of respect for guys who've who've done it the other way and come to you know come to North America from Europe. But um, no, the hockey side of it, I, I thought the game was was uh, if you can believe it. Everyone thinks that it's way more skilled and 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 way more wide open. But the guys are really skilled over there. But the game's actually. A lot like how the Olympics was in Sochi, it's you got to pack it in. Everyone sort of traps and plays in in between the dots, so it's actually less scoring over there. And uh, but in saying that, I got a lot of ice time, a lot of a lot of playing time, a lot of good experience. The team treated me, treat, the team treated me really well, and uh, had a good year. I think I developed a lot over there, so I was uh, it was pretty cool. But the lifestyle was tough. I'm not gonna lie. I, I saw some things that. Uh, couple times I saw, well, one time downtown, I saw a guy walking a bear on a leash. Um, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of wild dogs, a lot of wild dogs in the countryside running around. And, uh, it was, it was a different atmosphere in some situations, but overall I, I had a really, you know, as far as experiences in Russia, I think I, I would have had one of the better ones from, from guys going over there. Stewie, you want to tell Did you try the Russian gas? <laughs> <laughs> The Russian gas is a national secret over there, and uh, <laughs> we, nobody knows what nobody knows what's in it. So we'll, uh, we'll leave it at that. 
you want to you want to tell Mark your how how Costco almonds saved you in the uh, the KHL, Stewie? Yeah, I was telling the story because in Russia, if, if lunch is at 12 o'clock and you get there at 12, there's no food left and they don't bring out any seconds because guys just pack their plates. So I actually <laughs> bought over like, you know, I think it was like six pounds of chocolate almonds to help uh, keep me <laughs> keep me eating when they're uh, when the Russians ate all the food. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we used to have uh, we used to practice. We had our practice facility and and uh, they'd feed us three meals a day over there. So. Um, but like you're saying, it was, it, there's, there's the veterans who go first and they take all the good stuff and then they leave the scraps for everyone else. But, uh, <laughs> no, it was, it was funny. I mean, there was, there was some, you know, they do things differently, like drinking. I never realized drinking tea in between periods was a thing, hot tea to stay, stay warm and stay energized. Um, my sticks, I don't know if you could get your sticks over there, Stewie. My sticks would get stuck at the border every time and get go missing. So I was using yeah. like a different curve and different <laughs> stick every, every, for the whole year. I was basically using not my stick. Um, yeah, little things like that, and and uh, definitely was an experience. That's for sure. Being joined by Mark Giordano, uh, Calgary Flames defenseman, and uh, when we talk about you, Mark, we talk a lot, and Brian talks a lot about you know leadership and what you mean to that team and how you make it easy for your for your defense partner. And I always think about you. I think about um, overcoming adversity and, and overcoming things that a lot of players will look at and say, well, that's my signal to quit hockey. Um, Stewie mentioned earlier on, never drafted in the NHL. You weren't even drafted uh, into the OHL. You mentioned you went to Owen Sound uh, as a 17, 18-year-old after playing Brampton Capitals. I mean, this game is, has given you, I mean, just mentioned KHL as well. This game has given you a lot of reasons to quit. And you've never said, okay, I'm going to pack it in. Have you always been like that? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I'm just like a, a huge fan of the game. And uh, I remember, you know, obviously growing up, Saturday night, hockey night in Canada was the number one thing you looked forward to as a kid. And I remember watching it with my dad, waiting for, you know, grapes to go on. And uh, it's just, uh, I don't know, it's just... It, something that I've never have never had that moment where I was like, man, I'm going to, I'm going to shut it down. I, uh, you know, I wasn't drafted to the OHL, but I was like, I was, I was looking forward to still playing at York university if I had to. And I had a good talk with the, the hockey coach there and was all set up before I signed with Calgary. So I, I, I never had that, that moment where I, I really wanted to get away from it. I, I had to go down to double A when I was uh, younger too. And I, you know, you'd think that maybe at that point you'd be like, okay, it's 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 getting old, getting cut and stuff like this. But no, I, I really enjoyed the game for my entire life. I still do. I mean, I still I still really, really enjoy watching a good hockey game. And uh, playing in Calgary, it's great because we get, we're the late game and we get to get in the room. You're taping your stick. You're watching, you know, the early games on, on uh, hockey night and, and it's pretty cool still. So, um, I developed a lot later, I think, than a lot of guys, but but always sort of have had that passion to play. I really, really enjoy the game. That's great. Berkey? Tell us about your charity work. Uh, Gio, you and Lauren do so much in the Calgary area, and it's one one amazing facet of your career that you've taken it to a, a whole new level in my mind. Tell us about the work you and Lauren do. Yeah, so... Um, you know, Lauren and I, especially when we had Jack, we wanted to, to get involved with the community and get involved with uh, 
the school board here. And I think, uh, you know, a lot of it is obviously to help out such a great community that's uh, basically we've, we've lived here for a lot of our adult life and, and made us who we are. So we got involved with the, the Calgary Board of Education. We reached out to them um, and basically they identified, you know, four schools to us that they felt were, were in need of some help. And um, what's pretty, what's where we like most about the uh, the program is we just didn't say, okay, here, we're going to come in and give you some sport equipment or give you some hockey sticks or some, you know, we didn't, it, it wasn't just one thing. We, we went to each school. We, uh, we sat down, we talked with the principals and, and the superintendent and we, we sort of addressed what their biggest needs were. So some schools, needed a library, needed books, needed some tablets for the kids, for the classrooms. Other, another school needed a, a brand new sport court outside with all new equipment. Um, you know, and one school built a fitness center. So it was, they were all different needs. The, um, the kids have really bought into the program and, and used, you know, there's little reading rooms, Zen rooms, all these things that we've created. And I think it's specific to each school. So it's been a pretty cool experience. Um, my wife and my wife Lauren and I have have uh, learned a lot, and, and we get as much out of it as as the kids do when we go and visit. And I just think it's important to uh, you know to give back to these communities that that have have done so much for us as uh, as players. And you know, I think a lot of uh, trying to set an example for the young guys, and I think a lot of our young guys have followed suit, and it's it's pretty cool and. With what we're going through right now, I think it's even more important for us to step up, too. Those Zen rooms are great, too, by the way. You mentioned that. Uh, I wish I had that when I was a kid. My kids have that uh, at their school. Um, and, and you mentioned what's going on right now, and everybody has a new normal. Everyone has a new rhythm. Everybody has a new pattern in their life right now. What's yours, Mark? Yeah, no, I think uh, for me it's uh, trying to stay in a routine. I think we're – we're all, you know, being in the in the game, we're all so, so used to having that set routine and that routine made up for us. So um, when you're at home and you can't leave your house, you got to sort of be pretty disciplined. So I try to get up every day, try to get a, a workout in as early as I can because if you wait around and sit on the couch long enough, you're never going to do it. <laughs> so I try to, try to get a workout in early. Um, then Jack has his online school most days, so we try to help him out a little bit with that. My daughter Reese uh, is just buzzing around the whole day, nonstop, doesn't stop for one second, so she keeps us pretty busy. But yeah, we've uh, we've done little things though. Like we've we've gone on a couple of those. Um, there's some Facebook groups that have started up, and my wife's really involved with uh, trying to help out in the community, but. We've done some of those birthday train parties just to get out and get get a drive with the kids. And, um, you know, Jack's birthday was April 4th and all his buddies did the train for him. And we were like, huh, we should we should uh, jump in on that. And they have a Facebook group here in Calgary that sets them up for all the kids. So we've been on a couple of those. We're going on another one Saturday, I believe. And uh, those are pretty fun, but yeah, it's just really trying to find things to do and keep yourself occupied. And, uh, uh, the kids are very helpful with that. I mean, I built a trampoline yesterday for a couple hours, so that took up most nice. of my day. And, uh, <laughs> um, for you yeah, or the kids, but, for the kids, for the kids. <laughs> I, I, I took a couple of jumps, but, uh, uh, no, it's just, 
it's tough. They're, these are these are tough times uh, for everyone, but you know, just trying to stay busy. You know, uh, we'll end on this. I'm, I'm curious about the 1,000 game mark, and we opened the program by talking about Andre Markov, who called it a career. What a wonderful career it was um, for Markov, and he come he uh, he finishes up after playing 990 games, so 10 games short of the 1,000 mark. You're 107 games away. Um, from hitting that milestone, how much would that mean to you? The the deeper I get into into this industry, the more I know that longevity means a lot uh, for hockey players. What does the number one thousand mean for Mark Giordano? Yeah, no, I, honestly, I think it would be it would mean a lot to me. I think uh, it's I'm not I would lie if I was telling you I haven't thought about it recently in the last uh, you know year or two. I, I watch my my good buddy stage get there before he, before he retired. And it was a pretty cool moment to be able to see him get to a thousand games guy who I, uh, you know, I grew up with playing with my basically our entire lives together. So that was pretty cool. And yeah, I've thought about it, but for me, honestly, at this point, it's, you know, I haven't played in playoffs enough and, and we need to, you know, for me, it'd be rather than getting a thousand, I'll take the, uh, a bunch of playoff games so hopefully we can get this season going um get some sort of format where we can play in the playoffs uh again and and then uh go from there but yeah i'd I'd be lying it it would be a pretty special moment if i did hit hit a thousand winning norris trophies and building trampolines mark giordano thanks so much for (laughs) stopping by today i hope to talk uh, about your uh, uh, your deeds on the ice sooner than later thanks for spending time today with us all right, guys, thank you. It's the captain of your Calgary Flames, Mark Giordano, in conversation with Merrick, Burke, and Anthony Stewart on Hockey Central at noon a little earlier today across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Uh, that'll do it for our Friday edition of the program. Next up, in conversation with Ron McLean and uh, special notes tonight, 6 o'clock, coast-to-coast on radio and television on Sportsnet. It's Game 5 of the 2015 American League Divisional Series, the Bat Flip game, Blue Jays and Rangers, and don't forget to catch the special watch party 7 o'clock on the Sportsnet Facebook and YouTube streams and also on Sportsnet 1. And then immediately following that here on Sportsnet 960, the fan 8.30 tonight for Game 5 of the 04 Stanley Cup Final between the Flames and the Tampa Bay Lightning. For Pinder and for Logan, my name is Pat Steinberg. Uh, be sure to catch Rick Ball, Tori Peterson, and Daryl Fox all up at Sportsnet.ca slash 960 right now. Have a great weekend. Be safe. Stay safe. We'll talk to you Monday on Pinder and Steinberg. Sportsnet 960, The Fan.